You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we are... Set up for a very excited, exciting, and excited, we're excited, oh, for yeah. the podcast at the QDMA National Convention. There, that convention, just in general, um, is so enjoyable. I think we talked about it even before we went. And it was like, this is the family reunion without your family there. And we get there, and immediately, like the first pe- person we met was Joe Hamilton, the founder that day day one and from there it's just meeting saying hi to everyone and you're surrounded by deer hunters who love it like what what can go wrong that's right it's just it's so much fun it's one of my favorite events of the whole year and fortunately for us we were invited back to speak so yeah we were probably going to go anyway no doubt but uh Headed back, and it was just a great time. So this podcast is very special. We have a, just a, a list of people. We've got Lindsey Thomas. Yep. Um, we have Kyle Bennett, and they all have ties to different Q- ties to QDMA. Somehow yes. they're incorporated, um, whether they're on staff at QDMA, whether they're um, branch officers, or they are new attendees, new or hunters, co-op leaders. Yeah. yeah. So we have basically. Five, five guys tied deeply to QDMA as far as that list we just mentioned. And then we have two guys from that are – it was their first convention, but yeah. deer hunters for a long time tied with uh, the outdoor industry as far as camera guys for primos. So interesting take from their side, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. So, But that's exactly why we did it. We wanted this wide range of people and views and, and um, perspectives on the convention, like – why Why are you here? What do you do? What's your role? What do you like about it? And uh, the answers are, are pretty awesome. And I tell you what, I wasn't expecting some of the conversation that we immediately got into, but it's funny the way some conversations just go and, and naturally flow. And that's what this week was with talking with each each one of these individual people. We were, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes with each person. Um, but man, it was just fantastic. That's right. So let's go ahead and kick it off with Lindsey Thomas, Jr. So we're live and on location here at the QDMA National Convention. Our next guest is Lindsey Thomas. 
from QDMA. Tell us a little bit about your position there. Yeah, I'm director of communications here. So I do our magazine, Quality Whitetails, and the website, social media, all of that's in our department. Perfect. So what is it, uh, this is your biggest event of the year. What is it about this event that you like most? It, it really is just seeing a lot of some of our most diehard members and supporters who come to this. We try to make the convention a, a celebration of them and our volunteers and the hard work that they all do, a celebration of the accomplishment of mm-hmm. our mission that we've all kind of achieved together, both as an organization, but, but through the work of our members and volunteers and friends and supporters like you guys. So it's a celebration of all of that, of the history, of the accomplishment, but also a looking ahead at the mission and, and what's coming up next, Where what, what is QDMA going to be focusing on next and trying to achieve. Awesome. So we, we make it about education. You know, as you all know, we have some speakers uh, here talking about our, uh, the, the things that we have always taught about, deer habitat management, deer hunting strategy, herd management, and all of that. But, but it's also about fun and about celebrating the mission and accomplishments. And so, yeah, for me, um, seeing the members, the volunteers, the friends like you guys who, who are here because you support the QDMA mission and are, and are just connected to that. It, that's, that's really rewarding and refreshing for all of us on the staff to, to mix and mingle and talk to you guys like that. Yeah, so I, I think that's what that's, we enjoyed just as much as you guys because it's, it's like a, the family reunion and you're not even relatives, but everyone's coming back together um, to one centralized location. You're talking about deer and you're talking about habitat. Who doesn't enjoy that? Um, well, it's, like, like a, it's like a family reunion where you actually like all your family. Yeah, members. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great analogy. That's yeah. it. Yep. I, I think, you know, it's 30 years of QDMA. How long have you worked with QDMA? I've been here almost 15 years. Wow. So what have you seen change over the last 15 years? Well, the organization has grown, obviously, yeah. uh, a lot more members. Uh, we've been a lot more effective in our, in our mission because of that with more members, uh, more funds more effectiveness, more staff, we can simply uh, get more done. So it's been very pleasing as a staff member to, to see it grow and, be, and participate in that, to be a part of a great team of people. Um, you know, our members, our volunteers are dedicated, but our staff too. I mean, these are folks that uh, are in this because they're passionate about deer and the future of deer hunting. So being a part of that team has been real rewarding. But, yeah, just uh, seeing the growth, seeing the accomplishment and being a part of that has been a real honor. Yeah. I think it's easy to tell if, if you do follow along with QDMA, whether it's on social media or just the amount of information that you guys put out, even in a week's span, there's so many people um, working hard to make that happen. You guys don't even have that large of a staff. And so, you know, by default, you guys are super passionate about everything that you do and take your job seriously. And, and it certainly shows. Um, so you've, you've been able to sit through a couple conversations, a couple talks. Um, what are some of the nuggets that you can share the tips that you've you've learned or or heard speak um throughout this weekend so far and this is just day two so really we've got a lot more to go as well but what are are some of those things that you've learned uh there have been some really cool talks already and and sometimes here some you got y'all know from having sat in on some of these talks and and even last year you guys spoke at convention and were one of our speakers 
a lot of times it's like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> yes, it to, can be. To listen to all this information. I watch people in the room with their notepads and the pen scribbling furiously <laughs> and, and then later telling you, man, my, my hand hurts from trying to keep notes and keep right. up with all this stuff. Because it is so much great information. But I tell you, you know, some of the really cool ones, Marcus Lashley yes. uh, from Mississippi State University gave his talk on fire and habitat improvement. And he threw out that great, neat study he had it was on fantastic. bow range yeah. burning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which really breaks through so many of the um, old ideas about fire that, that, A, you have to burn big, large areas. Well, mm-hmm. no, you can burn a small little spot. Or, B, that you have to burn in the dormant season. No, right. he was burning in September. And what he found, as you all know, was that burning in a little 30-yard radius of a bow stand and studying those, they they got, what, 13, 13 times, times more yes. shot opportunities on those stands than on stands where they hadn't burned. That just was like, what? that is That's such incredible. a cool study. Yeah. It's not just deer science. Those are people who hunt mm-hmm. and are going, you know, let's study habitat improvement, but let's study it in a way that deer hunters can go and apply this. It's exactly. It's, it's direct. Like, anyone who listened probably was like, wait, 13 times the, the amount of shot opportunities? Like, their ears just perked up, but it's, it's so easy, such a small 30-yard radius around your stand. You can blow it out with a leaf blower, and it's very controlled, very maintained, and the results speak for themselves. Um, so, I mean, it's a great thing that hopefully we're going to see happen. Um, and it's one of those kind of hinge-cutting buzzes. It just kind of goes viral. But he had evidence to prove it. Yeah. I mean, it was it was fantastic. Yep. Um, another really good one I thought was Don Drager's talk. Don mm-hmm. is uh, with the Comanche Ranch, Friedkin Ranch out in Texas. Yep. Uh, he has done another um, study similar to others in the past, long-term, multi-year study of culling bucks. And it's fairly complex. There's a lot of things to discuss in what he found, as there have been in past studies. But the bottom line, as Don said, was basically you are spinning your wheels if you're trying to cull bucks to improve antlers. It just doesn't work. And as he said, uh, put your time and effort into nutrition, habitat improvement. Don't try to, to cull bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- they found multi-year study, just you know, tons of data and super intensive effort that no recreational deer hunter could ever replicate <laughs> no. on, yeah. on their property. Yeah. I mean, if these guys and, and people like Mick Hellickson at the King mm-hmm. Ranch and others who have done these similar studies, if these people, using the techniques and technology and people and time and money that they've got to put into culling bucks, can't make it improve antlers, One and two bucks can. a year from a hunter in, in an you know, very small area isn't going to replicate or change anything. No, no. So Period. don't waste your yeah. time. As QDMA is often taught, just protect as many yearlings as you can. Mm-hmm. Move bucks into older age classes. Don't worry about genetics. You can't manage it. Focus on age. Focus on nutrition. So, again, this was another good study to oh, yeah. reinforce that. As you all know, the culling myth is a hard one to die. Oh, yeah. You know, this was another nail in the coffin, but we still, you know, <laughs> that, that zombie is still trying to come out of there. Oh, yeah. we got to keep nailing a few more nails in, apparently. But That's uh, it. it's good to have another nail in the coffin. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we sure do appreciate your time, Lindsay. It's always a pleasure catching up. Yep. He's got to go. we got another guest lined up, but. Always nice to catch up. Sorry to be on the run. As, as convention is always busy for it's the busy. staff here, but uh, thank you for, for taking a minute. And listen, thank you all so much for being here. We really Absolutely. appreciate you all being here, uh, being speakers in the past, supporting QDMA with all you do. We couldn't do what we do without the support of guys like you all. Appreciate you. that. We, we certainly do appreciate it. Yep. Well, sir, have a good lunch. Thank you all. All right, next we have our good friend Kyle Bennett from the great state of Louisiana. Our audience, uh, our listeners, people that watch our videos, our films might be familiar with Kyle from our, I think we called it the Ghosts of Mississippi. Uh, Um, That turkey hunt that didn't result in turkeys? The most successful turkey hunt in Mississippi. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
That's right. So Kyle was our uh, host down in Mississippi when we chased turkeys with him. But you're also involved with the QDMA. How so? I am. So uh, I'm currently a branch president of Southwest Louisiana Branch. Uh, cover a portion of the state. Also very involved at the state level. QDMA at the state level in Louisiana. Louisiana is one of the top states for QDMA in, in membership and fundraising dollars. So we have quite a bit of activities going on throughout the state throughout the year so i try to help out and volunteer where i can not just in my area but some of the other areas and yeah stay involved give me something to how do. long have you been working with qdma in that position? so uh i have been uh, a branch president for three or four years now before that i served as an officer um, before my branch was established and, and before my branch was established i was uh heavily involved just as a state at the state level like as a volunteer but i've been a member of qdma for all oh, 10 or 12 years now probably wow you're a life member i believe right i am a life member yes that a boy yep. yeah how i've got go? the pin the special pin. oh man i've seen that and i was like how did he get that pin yes that's yes. it's if like you read insignia. on the bottom it says he's a life member i can't right. read but you got to get There's almost put right. your head on his chest to see that that's too that's close right. for me yeah that's right so anyway my question to you, and and we are, I'm the branch president, but we run a branch there in Missouri for you guys, and and for you being the the branch president, like what are some things that you do, like what does it entail, um, to be a branch president here in Louisiana? Well, uh, I mean, as you know, a, a lot of what these branches focus on is, is fundraising, and uh, the fundraising. It, it allows for us to, to host these other educational events and stuff that, you know, QDMA branches really want to do. You know, we got to have money to do that. So uh, the branch president, you know, we, we organize these fundraising events and, and putting those on and then also setting up and organizing all these, you know, educational uh, seminars and meetups, you know, our branch in particular, Southwest Louisiana, we started a deal last year we call uh, Bucks and Brews seminars. Mm-hmm. We have a, a local craft brewery in town, and we do uh, we do like a free event, just a meetup. We'll bring in a speaker, and we'll give everybody beer and pizza and, and talk about deer. We, we had some success with that last year. We're going we're gonna to go back to it this year. Uh, cool. As the season gets closer, that's one big thing we do. Uh, we also uh, – donate funds to various causes um a a lot of what we've done is uh we've donated uh quite a few youth bows that's kind of one thing that our our branch likes to do to to some various different groups um prizes and events like we've had some big buck competitions that we've we've donated youth bows and youth crossbows to like the youth categories we've also uh done that at, at a lot of outdoor events across louisiana um that's just kind of what our local branch does and we're trying to move forward and and actual and do some actual like field day type events like in field on properties bringing in professionals and showing what we actually do as far as food plots habitat management uh feral hogs is a really big mm-hmm. deal where i live so hog trappings is really relevant um and things of that nature but in order to do that you have to fund them so fundraising is a huge part of what we do. What's been your most successful fundraiser? Oh, uh, is is are you asking dollars or? Yeah. Or? What raises the most funds so you can spend that? Right. More? So you know, so we run just the the basic 
banquet um like most of y'all do just the live and silent auction and raffles uh, we try to go really heavily heavy on the raffles because we found that the more people that walk away with stuff mm-hmm. you know no matter the size the the more fun they have or the more they see it as a success so they're likely to come back um my branch is, is still relatively small relatively new so like at our last at our last uh banquet it actually turned out to be smaller than we thought but i think we we brought in about 35 grand or something like that nice so, you know, we get to keep a portion of that money. Some of it goes back to QDMA, which QDMA uses it for a variety of causes. Um, and uh, we keep our, our portion of it locally, mm-hmm. and we're able to use it as we see fit for, uh, like we talked about, you know, sponsor various things. We're we're looking at doing some scholarships. That's nice. something else. Cool. That's something we plan on doing this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a, a local college in town, and, and we're looking at doing some scholarships to their wildlife management program. That's awesome. Uh, that's always a big draw for, for people involved with QDMA branches, too, because that's something you can really publicize mm-hmm. that you are donating money for this cause. Yeah. And uh, it helps bring a lot of awareness to your branch. Sure. So, Kyle, you're you're a younger guy, and as as we are. And we'll hold on to that as long as we can. <laughs> but our, our my question for you is, what do you think, what is the QDMA and how can we, as younger guys, how can we reach an, a younger audience? What do you think? Uh, hmm. Let me think about that. Um, I'll probably caught you off guard with that question. Well, the brain yeah, buster form. a little bit. You know, <laughs> you know, like we said, we're younger guys and we're kind of oddballs in the fact that we're really into this habitat deal mm-hmm. yeah which is not you know not normal for people our age we don't have enough gray hairs on our head to that's, start talking that's correct conservation for the next correct, generation correct so uh a big thing for me is to sort of share that knowledge with other people my age and and they get excited about it too yeah um as far as bringing that into uh in, into the younger generation i mean it it's going to be a grassroots deal i mean we just got sure. we got to do it we got we got to show them why we are passionate about it what makes us passionate about it and share that and and the hunting the the hunting mentorship is such a huge thing not to not to sidebar mm-hmm. <clears throat> this conversation but one of this one of the main problems that we're dealing with now that we've talked about all weekend is insane declining hunter numbers absolutely yeah and i think i think our age group is is the perfect perfect age group to start getting new hunters involved because it's great to take kids out i love to take kids out and and see them harvest their first deer but the problem with that is after you're gone they have to have normally someone to take them out Mm -hmm. again so when you look at when you focus on sort of our, our age group, you know, we're supposedly self-sufficient, you know, <laughs> we can, we can drive Adulting. ourselves, we can drive ourselves around, you know, we can, we take what little money we have and, and go spend it on hunting gear and hunting license and stuff like that. So I think it's important to get people our age hunting and, and that's something I've tried to focus on. I have plenty of friends, you know, you know, where I'm from in Southwest Louisiana on the coast, I'm from a huge hunting com- uh, community, but it's mostly waterfowl hunters. Mm-hmm. Where I live, there are actually not, there are some deer, but I'm not in deer hunting mecca. I have to travel yeah. to, to get to areas where the deer hunting is great. So 
I've taken quite a few of my friends from, from that area who have, you know, never really been on many deer hunts or never had successful deer hunts and brought them to, uh, to, you know, harvest their first deer and, and sort of kind of instilled that, that passion and that knowledge in them and really, really stoked that fire. So that's been a big thing for me. And I, and I think our age, like I said, our age group, our generation, that that's how we're going to affect this hunt, this hunting recruitment crisis that yeah. we're dealing with right now. I think, you know, there's one thing about taking your kids hunting. That's, and that's very important. You have your kids, you take them hunting, but you're not building the, the, the community by just taking your kids. You're just basically replacing yourself for the right. next generation. Correct. We have to go out as, even if you don't have kids, you're our age, you're taking your friends or you're taking, uh, even people that are, that you work with that have never mm-hmm. been hunting yeah, it doesn't have to be a young crowd. No, mm-hmm. and and then not just that, but every opportunity, whether it is with the QDMA branch, trying to host these youth events for kids that don't have the parents to where you can kind of start planting those seeds to where they get interested in the outdoor. Right. And sometimes it's not even as as just taking them out going deer hunting. It may be taking them to the nature center during the summer or taking them to the creek and getting them hooked on nature and then progressing into a deer hunter. Right. And, and, you know, I can't even count how many emails I get on a regular basis of people who have stumbled across Cutie Mae's website, you know, found my contact information listed there because I'm a branch president and reached out to me because they want to know some of them how to hunt mm-hmm. or how to be a better deer hunter or how to put in their first food plot or what they need to do. They say, look, I've got five acres right here. I've got permission to hunt. What, what can I do to, you know, make this sure a place where I can go and, you know, be kill successful. a deer off of it. So, uh, it's just our, our job since we're short of in this light, it's our job to, to, to stoke those passions and to build that foundation. And, and yeah. when you say our job, it's, yeah. it's a, our job as hunters correct that's what it's I mean. as any any hunter out there the, correct anyone who's listening it's it's right. our job as a whole to right. do these things for those of us that love whitetails and not just whitetails but any type of critter out there game animals and non-game animals people who are just wildlife enthusiasts and we want to see uh we want to see the traditions of hunting continue mm-hmm. it, it is our job to do what we can to spread awareness and spread the the ideas of, of conservation, habitat conservation, you know, land stewardship, um, all those big buzzwords, you mm-hmm. know, no doubt we need to uh, promote that best we can. Yeah. And, and frankly, talk is cheap when it comes to that. Correct. It, it, it yeah. comes well, yeah. to a point where follow through we, we have to do the actions. Correct. That's right. Well, Kyle, we sure do appreciate you coming on. You got anything else you want to add? Not really. Are you excited for your Missouri turkey hunt next year? I am excited. You know, I'm I'm fully expecting Matt and Adam to uh, to exact their revenge upon me. <laughs> well, and, that won't be hard. And, yeah, and and put me in the the worst gar hole they know of. Yeah. And uh, you know, frankly, I you know probably deserve it. But, uh, no, no, the no. UTV. We're gonna hide them, and then whenever you get up there, we're gonna be like UTV. We don't have UTV. What are you yeah. We walk about? everywhere. Yeah. I'm up so, and down all these hills and I'm so glad yeah. that I'm immortalized in the in the land of internet film as being the worst turkey guy ever. <laughs> and I want You're welcome. I want to <laughs> I want to assure the viewers out there and the listeners that we do have turkeys on our property. I promise. <laughs> 
Yeah. They were all hiding in yeah. the same hole that week, apparently. And and yeah. he still steered us away from that hole. Right. That's right. I mean, right. he still did. Well, you didn't pay enough money to see the hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pay-to-play kind of kind of deal down in Mississippi. Which he right, failed right. to let us know. Well, yeah. But I fed y'all good, and that's oh, what right, really yeah. matters. So. That is that's absolutely right. – we had a great time, and we'll have a great time next spring, too. Absolutely. When, uh, when you come up, it'll be – Fun turkey hunt. Yeah, Kyle, always a pleasure. Absolutely. And we will Thank see y'all. you most likely at the next sure convention. Sure thing. I'll be around. Sounds good, man. Well, we appreciate it. Bye. So our next guest, Ryan Fuhrer from – what? What? you're PA guy, right? I'm Pennsylvania, yep. That's Southwestern, just south of Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Some I, call me actually a West Virginia hillbilly because I grew up really close uh, to West Virginia. <laughs> but How close to uh, Unionville? Uniontown. No, Uniontown. That's the high school I went to, Uniontown no High School. No kidding. Yeah. I have family that lives in Uniontown. Don't tell many people that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. We'll get on that later. Yeah. 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 That's huh. cool. Small how, world. How close is that to like Seven Springs? 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I've been there for one of the total Total archery, archery challenge. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. So where I grew up is south of Pittsburgh, say two or three miles from the West Virginia line and about six miles from the Maryland line. So Yeah pretty cool place to grow up i grew up hunting three states maryland west virginia pennsylvania basically my whole life so a lot of lot of opportunity there so you were close to frostburg then yep yeah there's Mm -hmm. what's that little range that uh i can't remember the the interstate that goes through it um but it's like one of the highest peaks in maryland gets so much snow accident maryland yes yeah Mm -hmm. we used to drive through there when i grew up in virginia to visit family and um it was it didn't matter like really hardly whenever you traveled it's it yeah, was in the fall it was snowing yeah you can go there in july and there might be snow <laughs> yeah it's crazy like <laughs> wow. you don't think about it. it's like it's snow man, and it's, wind and it's just like one area yeah. about five miles yeah, yeah. accent Maryland, where 68 runs to morgantown that's it, that's it. Uh, route 40 into pennsylvania and it's just that one spot just constantly has snow on it and wind and mm-hmm. it's just brutal right there mm. i had no idea yeah now you do that's now it. i do i'm a midwestern boy so i think east uh, i don't picture snow almost year round he doesn't give the east enough credit he does <laughs> i'll just throw that out there yeah. we don't give the midwestern enough credit <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so how long you been at cutie may i am working on eight years eight years and yeah. what is your position there now right now i am the senior regional director so basically i oversee all the regional directors throughout the country okay yep. so what was your position eight years ago when you came on? I was hired on. I was the Northeast Regional Director, so we're just talking about the Northeast. Um, I covered from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, all the way to Maine. Nice. Mm. So that was quite Unique a stretch. Yeah, 1,600 miles. I had a branch in Maine, so it was 1,600 yep. miles from uh, Machias, Maine, to my door wow. one way. So Holy we've cow. switched that since. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's now Region 1 and Region 2, Pennsylvania, Maryland. So, yeah, not that nice. anymore. Wow. So eight years, you've seen a, a lot of conventions now. Yep, yep. What has changed in the eight years, if anything? Uh, a lot has definitely changed. I think the focus, we were probably in my first two years, you know, we were still very big into education and hunting habitat, manipulating the habitat, teaching mm-hmm. people about food plots, you know, aging jawbones and fetus studies and, and that. And anymore, especially in the last three or four years, there's a lot of hunter recruitment talk. Sure. Um, more celebrating the hunt. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, trying mm-hmm. to get really behind mission, you know, with, as you guys know, and probably a lot of your listeners, you know, the, the hunter recruitment decline that yep. uh, seems to be the, the focus on everybody's forefront anyway, and especially ours. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be. Yeah. And we can improve the habitat all, all year long, but if there's nobody out there hunting, yeah, I what's mean, the purpose? Yeah, and it's tough. You know, it's it's quite the challenge. Um, 
It's interesting, if you will, because I've found, especially through the ATA and whatever, um, a lot of, you know, I call them bubble the hunters, but no, it's not by any means a, a uh, malicious statement. But, you know, your, your, your licensed buyer that hunts whatever, four or five weekends a year, if you ask them about hunter recruitment rate or the decline, they're completely unaware, you yeah. know. And uh, even some of the industry really doesn't know. I was surprised to walk Very around true. the ATA show and meet some of the, you know, the industry professionals there that when you start talking about hunter recruitment rate that, you know, one person in particular, very well known in the industry said, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm spewing off data, you know, yeah, as far as right. the, the, the baby boomers aging out and mm -hmm. the hard stop at 70 and all that. And, he, you know, basically it was like, you can back this up, you know, right. I was like taken back, you know, the whole, my, wow. How do you, you not know, know this? How <laughs> do you not know this? And you're inside of the industry. So, uh -huh. I guess personally, you know, when I, you know, meet with the RDs and talk, they talk to the branches, we really try to communicate that. Look, like you need to get these numbers out there. People need to be aware, you know, mm -hmm. especially those quote unquote Bubba the Hunters. Um, you know, they see what they follow on Instagram and social media, and you tend to follow the things you like and the people who like that type of stuff follow you back. So you're going to see what you want to see. You know, that's what those algorithms are developed for. So you don't really see the rest of the world out there, you know, hunters make up about 4%, you know, the, the hunting license sales make up about 4% of the population. That's a really small number when you mm -hmm. think about everything else going on there. I don't know the statistics of people involved in social media, but I know it's a lot more than 4%. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But in our social media, it probably makes up 90% of what we look mm -hmm. at, Absolutely. right? So we think it's in it's a great spot. Yeah. 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 Huh. That's a great point. So how do you, in your opinion, how do we, how do we change this trend? You know what? I've been beating that up a lot lately. That's one of my, our main, my main focuses is the hunter recruitment and how to get people behind our mission. Yep. I, I don't have the answer. Yeah. I don't know if anybody does. Yeah. Know, we it talk about this all the time. Answer. It's very, we've evolved to where we're at and it's going to be an evolution to mm -hmm. get to where we need to be. But I mean, it starts with letting people know. So they need to be aware of yeah. what's going on. Um, you know, through what the Pittman-Robinson Act is. I just saw that statistic yesterday, 30% of the hunters have no idea what the Pittman-Robinson Act sure. is. So, or excuse me, 70% of hunters, 30% do. So mm. reverse that, my fault. Man. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and think back, honestly, 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have. And I've been a hunter since I've been, you know, eight. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure when I realized what it was or what it meant to conservation. Yeah, but uh, I, I didn't, you know, completely understand it, and I bet it was around ten years ago. Mm-hmm. <coughs> mm. yeah. yeah, but it does. It takes it takes someone to lead the charge and, and educate um, on those those certain topics to be able to understand completely what's going on within hunters and and the direction that we need to go. And, and, and you I guys are doing a great yeah, job. Yeah, May is doing probably Fantastic. leading the forefront of that of educating. Right, we're trying. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a, it's definitely an uphill battle. Yeah, sure. we and, and need we need you know if you this, you know easily or statistically speaking, if we could reach you know the ten to eleven million licensed buyers out there, if you know a third of them would just introduce one person to hunting and what it is, not just take them hunting, but teach them to become a hunter and understand conservation, mm -hmm. we could technically almost solve this problem overnight. Yeah. So it sounds pretty easy on the forefront. But, mm -hmm. you know, we all know that uh, this just definitely presents its challenges. Yeah. I've looked at this, you know, people ask why, you know, a lot of the statistics, household income or excuse me, household debt is mm -hmm. almost 100% over what it was 10 years ago. Uh, single wow. parent families. Um, I read a statistic, you know, within the last few months that's really alarming to me. And I, I think it's probably more outside of the circles we travel in. But mm -hmm. 
when you look at single uh, parent families, um, boys, young boys, 12 and under, see their father about four times a year. Now, so that means they're being raised by their mother with no father figure in their life. Um, mm. So there's a lot of programs to address that, the Big Brother, Big Sister mm-hmm. program. You know, yep. I think we that's probably a, a market we could tap into and try sure. to find some Big Brother, Big Sister type people that may be open to mentoring a new hunter, a young hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, and I have children, you know, on the sports side. I mean, my yeah. son's in, you know, four soccer camps a year and, you know, two practices a week, two games a week. Um you know, youth turkey seasons on a Saturday morning this year, we had to make a decision. Are we going to play soccer or are we going turkey hunting? We obviously went turkey hunting, but. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Uh, yeah, Good choice. you know. Um, There's so many things that are tugging at people's time. Absolutely. I, 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 the people who can take kids. What we, we talked about with Kyle. Um, you know, there's so much that you have to do responsibility-wise if you have your own kids, but it's it's taking that extra step. And not only just introducing, but then um, – mentoring them through the entire process of becoming a hunter you know what's yeah. interesting it's a, it can become a job to me, i i guess i never really even thought about it um but when we talk about athletics and and kids when i was growing up and i i was very active in my community but we still only played one or two days a week now right. it's almost six days a week that's what it's i mean incredible it's completely different the same way with me i mean i didn't ha- i played baseball predominantly as a child we, you know, basically summer, you know, like yeah. when you get out of school and you play for a couple months and that's it, right? You know, yeah. now it's spring ball, fall ball, you know, spring soccer, fall soccer, football, golf. Now, uh, my nephew is in a, a, a year-long golf program, you know, US, wow. you, mm-hmm. you know, from the USGA, and he swims also. So the opportunity is just everywhere for these kids, and, and they take it, right? The parents yeah. take you know, they want them involved in that, which – Sports are great. I mean, it, we yes. all grew up doing yes. it, and it's very needed. I'm just saying there's also a time and a place, and we have to, mm-hmm. as parents, I think we have to prioritize. It's important to our hunting heritage, especially if people like okay. you and I are raising children, growing up the way we did. We need to ourselves say to our spouses, look, you know, I want you know our son or daughter to be involved in this, but I also want them to do this because that's what I did as, as I grew up, and this is who I am. This is who we are, and that's, yeah. what, that's how I raised my children. Um you know, my son's 11 and, you know, we're right on the fence right now. If he's going to be a hunter when he's older, mm. um, he participates very much and he enjoys it, Yeah. but he's not like I was, you know, yeah. when we were yeah. there. But so my deal is, you know, look, until you're old enough to decide on your own, you know, whether this is something for you, that's when you can make that decision. But sure. until then you're going to do as I did. Cause that's all I know. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how I was raised. And I mm-hmm. feel like he needs to know at least where I came from or his family came from and what we do. Um, yeah. when he's of age and he says to me, you know what, dad, I just don't think it's for me. That's fine. You know yeah. what I mean? But I'm not going to do my part, you know, on the, in the, in the beginning to, to just let it out there by yeah. chance. Well, yeah. And everyone can go back and relate to the lessons that they learned while hunting and, and it shaped you. So Absolutely. you want to give your kids the exact same opportunities to learn the way you did. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd even think like, I, I can't imagine not hunting. Like I, I've yeah. thought of that before. I remember one of my good friends who I hunted with younger, um, last year year before you know hey man did you go hunting last year he's like no nah, i just didn't have any time i didn't hunt i'll even buy a license and i'm like i can't imagine not buying it. like i don't uh, what are you doing to fall on me right? yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> to me there's almost like a football's only on sunday yeah, yeah. Like, right? yeah. there's like a magnetic pool and it's like free time and it's just this pool to where it's like i must go to the outdoors and i, I must to. go hunting if it's hunting season I, 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 yeah i mean i i get like you know you want to get stuff done around the house and this and that and I just know if I don't have it done by October 1st, it's probably going to have to wait. <laughs> I mean, I'll yeah. try to get it done, yeah. but 
chances are it's not going to. There's yeah. only, you know, as I say, like six weeks of bow season, a little bit of gun season, you know, then we're oh, into yeah. the late season. Like, yeah, no, man. You There's know, priorities. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, it just, it's, it's astonishing. And I think you could probably tie it to household debt being double what it was 10 years mm-hmm. ago. So even if you do have the time, you know, you probably don't have the money. Or vice yeah. versa, if you don't have the money, you're going to go to work because you got to pay bills. You exactly. know? So you're not taking the time off like you used to. It's a great yeah. point. We, we've talked about um, when, when introducing kids to get them started, just the cost that it does take for a new hunter to get started in hunting. It's unreal. Some of the um, prices just for camouflage or, or the, a new bow to get all the accessories to someone to get started. Right. It's, and, and it's a big I've kind of been down that road before with a few first-time hunters, mm-hmm. and you know what? Uh, the quick remedy to that is a social media post. You'd be surprised. The You're response, to, good. Yeah, yeah. Just hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z camouflage boots, hats, fanny packs, backpacks, yeah. archery equipment. I've done that, and I've had great response. That's awesome. And bows show up on my door. It's you know almost what I mean? like it's there awesome. needs to be a goodwill that's for yeah. hunters. Honestly, I mean, I shouldn't have said that. That was going to be a business. <laughs> we'll see it tomorrow. Now, thanks. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that yeah. that would be an awesome opportunity though to have some sort of donation process. Process, and yeah. then you you could just. Because it is it expensive and it's intimidating. Yeah. That's another sure. factor, you know, yeah. especially when you look at the statistic of the single parent families. Yeah. And then as I touched on, the young boys not seeing their fathers but four times, five times a year. Mm-hmm. So that means mom's raising them. That's very intimidating, especially if mom doesn't come from a hunting family. And oh, you yeah. have little Johnny there that wants to go hunting. Mom, mom, take me hunting. And uh, that's really intimidating for that type of atmosphere. Sure. So if yeah. there's no avenue there or you know a program not designed specifically for that, which – we're working on it. I mean, our field mm-hmm. to fork program definitely helps that, but it yeah. needs to be a lot of other people doing that type of thing, you yeah. know, thinking outside the box a little bit and understanding certain situations. Right. Uh, not everybody is as versed or, you know, we take for granted what we realize about hunting. That's you know so what I mean? True. It, because we, we've been around it our whole lives. But think about how intimidating it would be had you not, if you came from, let's just say, San Diego and your parents grew up in the IT world, mm-hmm. you know, and I honestly think <clears throat> I, I wrote an article about this a while ago, uh, but I think hunting is an instinct that's inside of all of us from a young age. I've watched kids play, you know, just kind of like study kids yeah. and think about this. Your own kids, you've ever taught them to play hide and seek? Nobody teaches their kids how to play hide and seek. I think it's one of the earliest forms it. of hunting. They just know how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like even you know, like cops and robbers shooting the guns, bang bang. You know, yeah. I mean, you don't teach your kids that, you know. Yeah, um, cowboys and Indians. Cowboys, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's the same type of deal. But uh, I think hide and seek is probably one of the, the earliest forms of hunting in a child. You know, they're seeking out, mm-hmm. you know, their 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 little buddies, or whatever. And um, so I, I definitely think it's inside of them. But if you don't tap into it by 12, 14 years old, it quickly goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's a very important part. Yeah. And that's what's awesome. You know, you say that 12, 13, 14. When I was growing up, you had to be, I think it was 12, before you could even hunt. Yeah, same and, with me. And, and so you, you think about that window of 6 to, now it's like 6 to 12 where it's so crucial. But the difference was... You know, probably our fathers and uncles, they were all going to hunt and camp. For me, anyway, That's like, yeah. I, you know, I cried when my when I saw people leaving the house without me with their guns and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? I can't go to camp? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was just, I don't know why. And honestly, I say I should rewind. My father 
hunted small game a little bit. I yeah. I want to say I came from a non-hunting family, but predominantly weren't big big hunters. My dad didn't kill his first deer until he was 40 and it was in mm. a stand I put him in. Mm. Um wow. you know, so I don't know why I had that instinct, you know, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to learn everything there was to know about hunting, especially deer. And even Western hunts was fascinated with bighorn sheep and, and mountain yeah. goat. Um, and I had a, my grandpa bought me a, a uh, subscription to Field and Stream when I was like eight, you know, obviously before social media and all that stuff and even the outdoor channel. And that's all I did was read that, you know, I was mm-hmm. just fascinated by that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of young children would be fascinated by it if they were exposed to it. Exactly. But the exposure now comes from different avenues. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Fortnite. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, nobody's reading Field and Stream anymore. I'm going to say anybody, but definitely not an eight-year-old. Right. Yeah. And magazines aren't near as popular as they I, I would. I remember that Outdoor Life magazine. Um, what was that? This happened to this me. This happened to me. I always would go and read. It's kind of like the little comic-y yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Where, where the guy, it was, it was a real, real life. I actually would yeah. buy the magazine that would take the year – the year of this happened to me, of all the subscriptions oh, right. or more, and it'd be like a full magazine devoted to mm-hmm. this happened to me. Those are so right. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I love cool. that section. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have that anymore. No. We don't have that, unfortunately. We just yeah. got a – We have Pokemon now. <laughs> Pokemon Go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No substitute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe we need to make an app that makes hunting cool. There's another business idea you just Damn. gave away. Man, just Would you knock it off? <laughs> we got to make some money somehow. We <laughs> need to have a talk with him before yeah. you go. It's easier to make money on the <laughs> app than I the podcast. I need to give you pen and paper. Just write this down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for but sure. It is. It's so true. we gotta, <laughs> we got to figure it out and, and do something about it. Yeah. We're I, working at it. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge, but uh, yeah. we just got to keep plugging along. You exactly know, right. just uh, one bite at a time, as they say, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But we're definitely moving in the right direction. I think from our ta- our standpoint, anyway, I can see the needle moving a little bit. Like definitely. I see eyeballs, you know, open up. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, especially mm. with the Field to Fork program, the first Love time that. adult yes. onset hunters. When you look at the research, and I just came from a, a meeting, you know, with the research that says it's really tough to make uh, to turn youth into hunters because they're so dis they don't have a checkbook they don't have a vehicle so if they you know you take them hunting today and they want to hunt tomorrow and you're not available what do yeah. they do they're forced to sit the bench right yeah um, <clears throat> you know statistically there's I've seen few statistics but somewhere around 80 percent of the non-hunting community you know are in favor of hunting so you're looking at mm-hmm. people like you and I the mid-30s and 40s something sitting again in the San Diego cubicle whatever that maybe played hide and seek when they were young and you know now through social media sees a little bit of hunting or watches on television and has the the interest but you know not the know-how so that's what yeah they don't they don't you know there's nobody there to take them and again to the intimidating factor especially from a male standpoint um it's really tough if you think about it again we don't think that but when you think outside the box or put yourself in those positions it's really tough for a 41 year old male that's never hunted before in his life to just randomly strike up a conversation with a hunter and say hey will you take me hunting yeah. i mean yeah could you imagine the look he would get you know that was yeah. a pretty intimidating thing no right and then you add in the factor that we as deer hunters especially white deer hunters we really don't like to take people to our spots <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> you know so that's a that's whole other challenge and i get it you know mm-hmm. i mean i've worked in the industry and i have a lease and it's like oh man you know do I, you know but I've changed my mind. It's like, you know what? Yeah. This is what needs to be done. So now exactly. it's, you know, we have the, the basic open door policy, you know, if yeah. mm-hmm. you want to hunt, we'll take you hunting. That's or if it. I can't do it, I'll find somebody that will. Yeah. I, and know? I think in the last 10 years, we've seen the hunting industry get so focused on killing mature deer and big deer. And to do that, 
it's like we have to eliminate a lot of people all from this going intrusion and that's exactly it you know when you start throwing in factors especially to first-time adult onset hunters or any new hunter and you know it's like well you can't shoot until it's three and a half well yeah. they didn't yeah. know what a deer was a couple of weeks yeah. ago now you're telling yeah. them to identify a three and a half year old you know right yeah. we can't do that which uh, is that intimidation we yeah. cannot yeah exactly they're going to be you know terrified what if it's two you know yeah so we can't do that. We got to no celebrate rules. the hunt, man. It That's is it. what it is. You know what? They're a great renewable resource. Emphasis on renewable. They'll be back next year. Well, yeah. that's you the know? thing. <laughs> if they are successful, and I've never met someone who's, you know, a new hunter who hasn't tagged a deer that just doesn't want to continue it, right? So, like, they're just consumed by it. They're going to learn. They're going to get to that process where, you know, maybe they do want to learn what a three-and-a-half-year-old is. But just if you got to open the door, give them the resource, and then let let right. the hunting just consume them. And I always, we've talked about this on the podcast prior, but one thing that we think would be really beneficial for those people, whether or not they killed a deer, was enjoying deer camp with the with yes. the guys. The, the social aspect is huge, oh, man. Yeah. That's why I wanted to go when I was a kid. I don't necessarily know if it was for the hunt. Yeah. You know, it was cold and early, but, man, I love being around the guys at camp, right? No it doubt. was just so cool. I thought they were all so cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I just wanted to be that. They were the heroes. They were. It was just, yeah. like, really Hometown neat. heroes. I can remember the smell. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the smell. The wood-burning stove. Yeah, it was just yeah. so different. And to this day, 41 years old, I can still remember that smell and what it did for me then. Yeah. yeah. It's just really interesting, you know? Um fascination completely fascinated by it and but I, again in that presentation um i just saw like we're, we're so caught up on hunting heritage and as somebody put it um it's really tough to tell a 20 year old first time a quote-unquote adult onset hunter about a tradition well it's not their tradition yeah so it's really hard to explain I mean, you need to just stop beating them over the head this is tradition this is how we do it and like wait a minute i've never done this so it's really not my tradition mm, you know yeah this is a first time for me so it was interesting to see even like some of the words that uh, the 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 presenter used when he was mentoring first-time hunters he had a a, a uh, a female for the first time who was a vegetarian that wanted mm. her doctor told her that she needed to eat protein and she wasn't into factory farming so it's like you know yeah. what maybe i'll become a hunter mm -hmm. so she went hunting and was successful and as she shot the deer it was like a 30 yard shot with a crossbow and hit it perfectly and he as you know the the guide basically said man great you pinwheeled it you know not thinking just that's just what we say right that's yeah. our lingo yeah. you know we know what that means and <clears throat> Not then, but a day later, she called him crying and said, you know, it was very offensive to her because she had just taken that animal's life and she was trying to wrap her head around that and by mm. no means wanted to celebrate it with a pinwheel. Just that sentence, you know, it, yeah. Was, yeah. it made it very derogatory in her mind. Mm. Yeah. You know, if he would, and he thought about it, like, it makes a lot of sense. You know, to yeah. me, that's just what it is. But, right, um, right. you know, if he would have just said that was a great shot and that animal's going to, you know, probably die very quickly, mm -hmm. that would have changed the whole, you know, sure. the whole mood of the of the deal there. So, we have to take those things into consider consideration uh, moving yeah. forward. Definitely, it's like we need to update our hunter language book, our hunter dictionary <laughs> book. <laughs> Somebody else will put that out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Proper terminology, and I've trademarked hunters. all of those things. And yeah, right. It, so there you go. Yeah, all right. Well, man, that was that was quite the little talk there. Yeah. boy, I really enjoyed that. Um, we got to get you on for a full length podcast yeah, one sure. of these days. Anytime. So. Anyway, I, yeah. that pretty well wraps it up. On to the next guest. I think uh, it's going to be tough to beat that one, though. That was oh, good. Oh, solid. There, I'm the winner. Yeah. Well, there we go. As, there you go. As with everything else, I win nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, appreciate your oh, time, Ryan. Good. All right. Thank you. So our next guest, Ryan Fuhrer from 
What? What? You're PA guy, right? I'm Pennsylvania. Yep, That's southwestern, just south of Pittsburgh. Oh yeah. Some uh, call me actually a West Virginia hillbilly because I grew up really close uh, to West Virginia. <laughs> but how close to uh, Unionville? Uniontown. No, Uniontown. That's the high school I went to, Uniontown no High School. No kidding. Yeah. I have family that lives in Uniontown. Don't tell many people that. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, That's funny. We'll get on that later. Yeah. 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 That's huh. cool. Small how, world. How close is that to like Seven Springs? 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I've been there for one of the total. Total archery, archery challenge. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. So where I grew up is south of Pittsburgh, say two or three miles from the West Virginia line and about six miles from the Maryland line. So Yeah pretty cool place to grow up i grew up hunting three states maryland west virginia pennsylvania basically my whole life so a lot of a lot of opportunity there so you were close to frostburg then yep yeah there's Mm -hmm. what's that little range that uh i can't remember the the interstate that goes through it um but it's like one of the highest peaks in maryland gets so much snow accident maryland yes yeah Mm -hmm. we used to drive through there when i grew up in virginia to visit family and um it was it didn't matter like really hardly whenever you traveled it's it yeah, in the fall it was snowing yeah you can go there in july and there might be snow <laughs> yeah it's crazy like <laughs> wow. you don't think about it. it's like it's snow man, and it's, wind and it's just like one area yeah. about five miles yeah, yeah. accent Maryland, where 68 runs to morgantown that's it, that's it. Uh, route 40 into pennsylvania and it's just that one spot just constantly has snow on it and wind and mm-hmm. it's just brutal right there mm. i had no idea yeah now you do and now i do i'm a midwestern boy so i think east uh, i don't picture snow almost year round he doesn't give the east enough credit he does <laughs> i'll just throw that out there yeah. we don't give the midwestern enough credit <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so how long have you been at cutie may i am working on eight years eight years and yeah. what is your position there now right now i am the senior regional director so basically i oversee all the regional directors throughout the country okay yep. so what was your position eight years ago when you came on? I was hired on. I was the Northeast Regional Director, so we're just talking about the Northeast. Um, I covered from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, all the way to Maine. Nice. Mm. So that was Unique quite a stretch. Yeah, 1,600 miles. I had a branch in Maine, so it was 1,600 yep. miles from uh, Machias, Maine, to my door wow. one way. So Holy we've cow. switched that since. <laughs> <laughs> Wisely done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's now Region 1 and Region 2, Pennsylvania, Maryland. So, yeah, not that anymore. Nice. Wow. So eight years, you've seen a, a lot of conventions now. Yep, yep. What has changed in the eight years, if anything? Uh, a, a lot has definitely changed. I think the focus, we were probably in my first two years, you know, we were still very big into education and hunting habitat, manipulating the habitat, teaching mm-hmm. people about food plots, you know, aging jawbones and fetus studies and, and that. And anymore, especially in the last three or four years, there's a lot of hunter recruitment talk. Sure. Um, more celebrating the hunt. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, trying mm-hmm. to get really behind mission, you know, with, as you guys know, and probably a lot of your listeners, you know, the, the hunter recruitment decline that yep. uh, seems to be the, the focus on everybody's forefront anyway, and especially ours. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be. And yeah. we can improve the habitat all, all year long, but if there's nobody out there hunting, yeah, I what's mean, the purpose? Yeah, and it's tough. You know, it's it's quite the challenge. Um, it's interesting, if you will, because I've found, especially through the ATA and whatever, um, a lot of, you know, I call them bubble the hunters, but no, it's not by any means a, a uh, malicious statement. But, you know, your, your, your licensed buyer that hunts whatever, four or five weekends a year, if you ask them about hunter recruitment rate or the decline, they're completely unaware, you yeah. know, and uh, even some of the industry really doesn't know. I was surprised to walk Very around true. the ATA show and meet some of the, you know, the industry professionals there that when you start talking about hunter recruitment rate that, you know, one person in particular, very well known in the industry said, 
are you sure? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm spewing off data, you know, yeah, as far as right. the, the, the baby boomers aging out and mm-hmm. the hard stop at 70 and all that. And, he, you know, basically it was like, you can back this up, you know. Right. I was like taken back, you know, the whole, my, wow. How do you, you not know, know this? How <laughs> do you not know this? And you're inside of the industry. So uh-huh. I guess personally, you know, when I, you know, meet with the RDs and talk, they talk to the branches, we really try to communicate that. Look, like you need to get these numbers out there. People need to be aware, you know, mm-hmm. especially those quote unquote bubble the hunters. Um, you know, they see what they follow on Instagram and social media, and you tend to follow the things you like and the people who like that type of stuff follow you back. So you're going to see what you want to see. You know, that's what those algorithms are developed for. So you don't really see the rest of the world out there. You know, hunters make up about 4%. You know, the, the hunting license sales make up about 4% of the population. That's a really small number when you mm-hmm. think about everything else going on there. I don't know the statistics of people involved in social media, but I know it's a lot more than 4%. <laughs> yeah, you know? no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But in our social media, it probably makes up 90% of what we look mm-hmm. at, Absolutely. right? So we think it's in it's a great spot. Yeah. 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 Huh. That's a great point. So how do you, in your opinion, how do we how do we change this trend? You know what? I've been beating that up a lot lately. That's one of my, our main, my main focuses is the hunter recruitment and how to get people behind our mission. Yep. I don't have the answer. Yeah, I don't know if anybody does. Yeah. Know, we it talk about this all the time. Answer. It's very, we've evolved to where we're at, and it's going to be an evolution to mm-hmm. get to where we need to be. But, I mean, it starts with letting people know, so they need to be aware of yeah. what's going on. Um, you know, through the, what the Pittman-Robinson Act is. I just saw that statistic yesterday, 30% of the hunters have no idea what the Pittman-Robinson Act is. So, or excuse me, 70% of hunters, 30% do. So, mm. reverse that, my fault. Man. Uh, yeah, so... You know, and think back, honestly, 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have. And I've been a hunter since I've been, you know, eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure when I realized what it was or what it meant to conservation. Yeah. But uh, I, I didn't, you know, completely understand it. And I bet it was around 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it does. It takes it takes someone to lead the charge and, and educate um, on those those certain topics to be able to understand completely what's going on within – hunters and and the direction that we need to go and, and you I guys think, are doing a great yeah, job yeah may is doing probably Fantastic. leading the forefront of that of educating right we're trying um, yeah you know it's 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 a, it's definitely an uphill battle yeah sure. we and, need we need you know if you you know easily or statistically speaking if we could reach you know the 10 to 11 million licensed buyers out there if you know a third of them would just introduce one person to hunting and what it is not just take them hunting but teach them to become a hunter and understand conservation mm-hmm. we could technically almost solve this problem overnight yeah so it sounds pretty easy on the forefront but mm-hmm. you know we all know that uh this just definitely presents its challenges yeah. i've looked at this thing you know people ask why you know a lot of the statistics household income or excuse me household debt is mm-hmm. almost 100 percent over what it was 10 years ago uh single Wild. parent families um i read a statistic you know within the last few months that's really alarming to me and I think it's probably more outside of the circles we travel in. But mm-hmm. when you look at single uh, parent families, um, boys, young boys, 12 and under, see their father about four times a year. Now, so that means they're being raised by their mother with no father figure in their life. Um, mm. So there's a lot of programs to address that, the Big Brother, Big Sister mm-hmm. program. You know, yep. I think we that's probably a, a market we could tap into and try sure. to find some Big Brother, Big Sister type people that may be open to mentoring a new hunter, a young hunter. Mm-hmm. Um but there's, you know, and I have children, you know, on the sports side. I mean, my yeah. son's in, you know, four soccer camps a year and, you know, 
two practices a week, two games a week. Um, you know, youth turkey seasons on a Saturday morning this year, we had to make a decision. Are we going to play soccer or are we going turkey hunting? We obviously went turkey hunting, but. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Uh, yeah, Good choice. you know. Um, There's so many things that are tugging at people's time. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, the people who can take kids. We, we talked about with Kyle. Um, you know, there's so much that you have to do responsibility wise if you have your own kids, but it's, it's taking that extra step and not only just introducing, but then, um, mentoring them through the entire process of becoming a hunter. You know, what's yeah. interesting it can become a job. to me, I, I guess I never really even thought about it. Um, but when we talk about athletics and, and kids, when I was growing up and I, I was very active in my community but we still only played one or two days a week now right. it's almost six days a week that's what it's i mean incredible it's completely different the same way with me i mean i didn't ha i played baseball predominantly as a child we you know basically summer you know like yeah. when you get out of school and you play for a couple months and that's it right you know yeah. now it's spring ball fall ball you know spring soccer fall soccer football golf now uh, my nephew is in a, a, a year-long golf program, you know, US, wow. you know, mm -hmm. from the USGA, and he swims also. So the opportunity is just everywhere for these kids, and, and they take it, right? The parents yeah. take you know, they want them involved in that, which sports are great. I mean, it, we yes. all grew up doing yes. it, and it's very needed. I'm just saying there's also a time and a place, and we have to, mm -hmm. as parents, I think we have to prioritize. It's important to our hunting heritage, especially if people like okay. you and I are raising children growing up the way we did. We need to ourselves say to our spouses, look, you know, I want, you know, our son or daughter to be involved in this, but I also want them to do this because that's what I did as, as I grew up. And this is who I am. This is who we are. And that's yeah. what, that's how I raised my children. Um, you know, my son's 11 and, you know, we're right on the fence right now if he's going to be a hunter when he's older. Mm. Um, he participates very much and he enjoys it, yeah. but he's not like I was, you know, yeah, <laughs> when we were yeah. there. But so my deal is, you know, look, until you're old enough to decide on your own, you know, whether this is something for you, that's when you can make that decision. But sure. until then, you're going to do as I did, because that's all I know. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how I was raised. And I mm -hmm. feel like he needs to know at least where I came from or his family came from and what we do. Um, yeah. When he's of age and he says to me, you know what, Dad, I just don't think it's for me, that's fine. You know yeah. what I mean? But I'm not going to do my part, you know, on the, in, the, in the beginning to, to just let it out there by yeah. chance. Well, yeah. And everyone can go back and relate to the lessons that they learned while hunting. And, and it shaped you. So Absolutely. you want to give your kids the exact same opportunities to learn the way you did. Yeah. I, yeah, I even think, like, I, I can't imagine not hunting. Like, I, I've yeah. thought of that before. I remember one of my good friends who I hunted with younger um, – Last year, year before, you know, hey, man, did you go hunting last year? He's like, no, nah, I just didn't have any time. I didn't hunt at all. I didn't even buy a license. And I was like, I can't imagine not buying a license. I don't, I, what are you doing in fall? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Right? <laughs> to me, there's almost like a. Football's only on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Like, right? yeah. <laughs> there's like a magnetic pool, and it's like free time, and it's just this pool to where it's like I must go to the outdoors, and I, I must to. go hunting if it's hunting season. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I get like, you know, you want to get stuff done around the house and this and that, and. I just know if I don't have it done by October 1st, it's probably going to have to wait. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll try to get it done, yeah. but chances are it's not going to. There's yeah. only, you know, as I say, like six weeks of bow season, a little bit of gun season, you know, then we're oh, into yeah. the late season. Like, yeah, no, man. There's you know, priorities. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, it just, it's, it's astonishing. And I think you could probably tie it to household debt being double what it was 10 years mm -hmm. ago. So even if you do have the time, you know, you probably don't have the money. Or vice yeah. versa, if you don't have the money, you're going to go to work because you got to pay bills. You exactly. know, so you're not taking the time off like you used to. It's a great yeah. point. We we've talked about um, 
when when introducing kids to get them started just the cost that it does take for a new hunter to get started in hunting it's unreal some of the um prices just for camouflage or or the a new bow to get all the accessories to someone to get started right it's, and, and it's a big i've kind of been down that road before with a few first-time hunters mm-hmm. and you know what uh, the quick remedy to that is a social media post you'd be surprised the response good yeah yeah just hey i'm looking for x y and z camouflage boots hats fanny packs backpacks archery equipment i've done that and i've had great response and bows show up on my door it's almost like there needs to be a goodwill that's for hunters honestly i mean i I shouldn't have said that that was going to be a business (laughs) we'll see it tomorrow now thanks (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) story of my life (laughs) (laughs) oh that that would be an awesome opportunity though to have some sort of donation process process and then you you could just because it is expensive and it's intimidating that's another factor you know especially when you look at the statistic of the single parent families and then as i touched on the young boys not seeing their fathers but four times five times a year Mm -hmm. so that means mom's raising them that's very intimidating especially if mom doesn't come from a hunting family and you have little johnny there wants to go hunting mom mom take me hunting and uh that's really intimidating for that type of atmosphere sure if there's no avenue there or you know a program not designed specifically for that which we're working on i mean our field Mm -hmm. to fork program definitely helps that but it needs to be a lot of other people doing that type of thing you know thinking outside the box a little bit and understanding certain situations right Uh, not everybody is as versed or you know we take for granted what we realize about hunting you know what i mean because we we've been around it our whole lives but think about how intimidating it would be had you not if you came from let's just say san diego and your parents grew up in the it world mm-hmm. you know and i honestly think <clears throat> I, I wrote an article about this a while ago uh but i think hunting is an instinct that's inside of all of us from a young age i've watched kids play you know just kind of like study yeah. kids and think about this your own kids have you ever taught them to play hide and seek Nobody teaches their kids how to play hide-and-seek. I think it's one of the earliest forms it. of hunting. They just know how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even, you know, like cops and robbers shooting the guns, bang, bang. You know? yeah. I mean, you don't teach your kids that, you know? Yeah, um, cowboys and Indians. Cowboys, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's the same type of deal. But uh, I think hide-and-seek is probably one of the, f- the earliest forms of hunting in a child. You know, they're seeking out, mm-hmm. you know, their, their, their little buddies or whatever. And um, so I, I definitely think it's inside of them. But if you don't tap into it by 12, 14 years old, it quickly goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's a very important part. Yeah. And that's what's awesome. You know, you say that 12, 13, 14. When I was growing up, you had to be, I think it was 12, before you could even hunt. Yeah, and, same with me. And, and so you, you think about that window of 6 to, now it's like 6 to 12 where it's so crucial. But the difference was... You know, probably our fathers and uncles, they were all going to hunt and camp. For me, anyway, That's like, yeah. I, you know, I cried when my when I saw people leaving the house without me with their guns and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? I can't go to camp? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was just, I don't know why. And honestly, I say, I should rewind. My father hunted small game a little bit. I, yeah. I don't want to say I came from a non-hunting family, but predominantly weren't big big hunters my dad didn't kill his first deer until he was 40 and it was in mm. a stand i put him in mm. um wow. you know so I, I don't know why i had that instinct you know but i mm-hmm. just wanted to learn everything there was to know about hunting especially deer and even western hunts was fascinated with bighorn sheep and, and mountain yeah. goat um and i had a, my grandpa bought me a, a uh, subscription to field and stream when i was like eight 
you know, obviously before social media and all that stuff and even the outdoor channel. And that's all I did was read that, you know, I was mm -hmm. just fascinated by that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of young children would be fascinated by it if they were exposed to it. Exactly. But the exposure now comes from different avenues. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Fortnite. Yep. I mean, yep. <laughs> you know, nobody's reading, film and stream anymore. I'm going to say, oh, baby, but definitely not an eight-year-old. Right. Yeah. And magazines aren't near as popular as they I, I, would, I re remember the Outdoor Life magazine. Um what was that? This happened to this me. This happened to me. I always would go and read. It's kind of like the little comic yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Where where the guy, it was, a, it was a real real life. I actually would yeah. buy the magazine that would take the year the year of this happened to me, of all the subscriptions oh, right. or more, and it'd be like a full magazine devoted to mm -hmm. this happened to me. Those are so right. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I love cool. that section. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have that anymore. No. We don't have that, unfortunately. We just yeah. got to. We have Pokemon gotta, now. <laughs> Pokemon Go, yeah, yeah. no substitute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we need to make an app that makes hunting cool. There's another business idea you just Damn. gave away. Man, just would you knock it off? We gotta make some money somehow. <laughs> Needs to have a talk with him before. Yeah, you go. it's easier to make money on the <laughs> app know, than podcast. I need podcast. to give you pen and paper. Just write this down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for but sure. It is. It's so true. We gotta. Uh -huh. We gotta figure it out and and do something about it. Yeah. We're I, working at it. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge, but uh yeah. we just got to keep plugging along, you exactly know, right. just uh one bite at a time as they say, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But we're definitely moving in the right direction. I think from our our standpoint anyway, I can see the needle moving a little bit like definitely. I see eyeballs, you know, open up. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um especially mm -hmm. with the field to fork program, the first Love time that. adult yes. onset hunters. When you look at the research and I just came from a, a meeting, you know, with the research that says it's really tough to make uh to turn youth into hunters because they're so dis they don't have a checkbook they don't have a vehicle so if they you know you take them hunting today and they want to hunt tomorrow and you're not available what do yeah. they do they're forced to sit the bench right yeah um <clears throat> you know statistically there's i've seen few statistics but somewhere around 80 percent of the non-hunting community you know are in favor of hunting so you're looking at mm -hmm. people like you and i the mid-30s and 40s something sitting again in the san diego cubicle whatever that maybe played hide and seek when they were young and you know now through social media sees a little bit of hunting or watches on television and has the the interest but you know not the know-how so that's not what the field vehicle yeah, yeah they don't they don't you know there's nobody there to take them and again to the intimidating factor especially from a male standpoint um it's really tough if you think about it again we don't think that but when you think outside the box you put yourself in those positions it's really tough for a 41 year old male that's never hunted before in his life to just randomly strike up a conversation with a hunter and say hey will you take me hunting yeah. i mean yeah could you imagine the look he would get you know that was yeah. a pretty intimidating thing no right and then you add in the factor that we as deer hunters especially white-tailed deer hunters we really don't like to take people to our spots <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> you know so that's a whole that's other challenge up. and i get it you know mm -hmm. i mean i've worked in the industry and i have a lease and it's like oh man you know do I, you know but I've changed my mind. It's like, you know what? Yeah. This is what needs to be done. So now exactly. it's, you know, we have the, the basic open door policy, you know, if yeah. you, mean, you want to hunt, we'll take you hunting. That's or if it. I can't do it, I'll find somebody that will. Yeah. I, and know? I think in the last 10 years, we've seen the hunting industry get so focused on killing mature deer and big deer. And to do that, it's like we have to eliminate a lot of people All from going into our spots. And That's exactly it. You know, when you start throwing in factors, especially to first-time adult onset hunters or any new hunter, and you know, it's like, well, you can't shoot until it's three and a half. Well, yeah. they didn't yeah. know what a deer was a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Now you're yeah. telling them to identify a three and a half year old. You know, right. yeah. we can't do that. Which uh, is that intimidation? We yeah. cannot. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be you know terrified. What if it's two? You know, yeah. 
So we can't do that. We got to no celebrate rules. the hunt, man. It That's is it. what it is. You know what? They're a great renewable resource. Emphasis on renewable. They'll be back next year. Well, yeah. that's you the know? thing. <laughs> if they are successful, and I've never met someone who's, you know, a new hunter who hasn't tagged a deer that just doesn't want to continue it, right? So, like, they're just consumed by it. They're going to learn. They're going to get to that process where, you know, maybe they do want to learn what a three-and-a-half-year-old is. But just if you got to open the door, give them the resource, and then let let right. the hunting just consume them. And I always, we've talked about this on the podcast prior, but one thing that we think would be really beneficial for those people, whether or not they killed a deer, was enjoying deer camp with the yes. with the guys. The, the social the, aspect is huge, oh, man. Yeah. That's why I wanted to go when I was a kid. I don't necessarily know if it was for the hunt. Yeah. You know, it was cold and early, but, man, I love being around the guys at camp, right? No it doubt. was just so cool. I thought they were all so cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I just wanted to be that. They were the heroes. They were. It was just, yeah. like, really Hometown neat. heroes. I can remember the smell. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the smell. The wood-burning stove. Yeah, it was just yeah. so different. And to this day, 41 years old, I can still remember that smell and what it did for me then. Yeah. yeah. It's just really interesting, you know? Um fascination completely fascinated by it and but I, again in that presentation um i just saw like we're, we're so caught up on hunting heritage and as somebody put it um it's really tough to tell a 20 year old first time a quote-unquote adult onset hunter about a tradition well it's not their tradition yeah so it's really hard to explain I mean, you need to just stop beating them over the head this is tradition this is how we do it and like wait a minute i've never done this so it's really not my tradition mm, you know yeah this is a first time for me so it was interesting to see even like some of the words that uh, the 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 presenter used when he was mentoring first-time hunters he had a a, a uh, a female for the first time who was a vegetarian that wanted mm. her doctor told her that she needed to eat protein and she wasn't into factory farming so it's like you know yeah. what maybe i'll become a hunter mm -hmm. so she went hunting and was successful and as she shot the deer it was like a 30 yard shot with a crossbow and hit it perfectly and he as you know the the guide basically said man great you pinwheeled it you know not thinking just that's just what we say right that's yeah. our lingo yeah. you know we know what that means and <clears throat> Not then, but a day later, she called him crying and said, you know, it was very offensive to her because she had just taken that animal's life and she was trying to wrap her head around that and by mm. no means wanted to celebrate it with a pinwheel. Just that sentence, you know, it, was, yeah. Yeah. it made it very derogatory in her mind. Mm. Yeah. You know, if he would, and he thought about it, like, it makes a lot of sense. You know, to yeah. me, that's just what it is. But, right, um, right. you know, if he would have just said that was a great shot and that animal's going to, you know, probably die very quickly, mm -hmm. that would have changed the whole, you know, sure. the whole mood of the of the deal there. So, we have to take those things into consider consideration uh, moving yeah. forward. Definitely, it's like we need to update our hunter language book or hunter dictionary <laughs> book. <laughs> Somebody else will put that out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Proper terminology, and I've trademarked hunters. all of those things. And yeah, patented, right. So there you go. Yeah, right. Well, man, that was that was quite the little talk there. Yeah. I, boy, I really enjoyed that. Um, we got to get you on for a full length podcast yeah, one sure. of these days. Anytime. So. Anyway, yeah. that pretty well wraps it up. On to the next guest. I think uh, it's going to be tough to beat that one, though. That was oh, good. Oh, solid. There, I'm the winner. Yeah. Well, there we go. As, there you go. As with everything else, I win nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, appreciate your time, Ryan. Good. All right. Thank you. All right. So our next guest, Hunter Pruitt from where, – where's home for you? Uh, northwest Georgia. Northwest yeah. Georgia. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Calhoun, Calhoun, Dalton area, northwest corner, about an hour above Atlanta, an hour below Chattanooga. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Been a pretty little area. Yeah, it is. How close to uh, Ringgold are you? Oh, not far. Not, not far. far. Okay. Actually, about uh, 40 minutes or so. There's a big amusement park down there, right? Uh, Lake Winnipesoka. Yep. That's it. Yep. Spent a summer there. He keeps talking. Our guests <laughs> are all from 
east, I guess, and he keeps talking about all these areas that I have no idea. You say Atlanta and Chattanooga, yeah, I got it, but I don't know anything right in, in the between middle. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right there in the middle. So what do you? How long have you been with QDMA? What do you do? So this is uh, coming up on my fifth year. I'll okay. be there five years. Started working as a uh, sophomore in college. Went to the University nice. of Georgia there. So yeah. started volunteering back in uh, 2012 at National Convention and mm-hmm. got hired on uh, to help out with whatever was needed around the office. You know, yeah. sweeping floors all the way to helping with convention prep. So right. Doing that, and that led into one, you know, one thing led to another, and now I'm helping run the Instagram page, and right, um, we're do- actually doing some research there at the University of Georgia that's funded through the QDMA for U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So right. just anything that needs to be done, anything and everything. You're um, the go-to man. You're the guy <laughs> yeah. they the call bi- behind the scenes. That's it. That's it. Yeah, no doubt. Got to got to have that um, so, on a day-to-day basis. So, like with the, with the UGA deal, like what what's the if you can talk about the research like what what's the focus there yeah so one of the mission goals for the qdma is to put uh, uh put a big focus on cooperatives going forward yeah. wildlife management cooperatives or deer management cooperatives in general so we, we were wanting to look what we were wanting to look at was just uh, trying to quantify these cooperatives across the landscape mm-hmm. um, so we got five representative states one uh, georgia for the southeast mm-hmm. uh, missouri for the midwest yep. um, michigan new york and texas and those really cover the whitetails range pretty well Mm -hmm. Um, looking at these cooperatives in these states to see what they're providing from a habitat standpoint from a a really a community um, standpoint on the land cover um, what they're providing for all wildlife not just for you know quality deer or for if it's a quail cooperative pheasant cooperative in michigan Mm -hmm. Um, trying to quantify that so u.s fish and wildlife is willing to promote cooperatives for not just game species, but for non-game, because you have a lot right. of inadvertent as- uh, aspects of those that help all wildlife on those those acres. So awesome. trying to do that and send out a survey, surveying these cooperatives, see what make them successful so that they can mm. use these as a conservation tool like uh, to then say, oh, well, we're going to try to get landowners together to, to work on conservation on a, a large scale, Yeah. Um, but we need to know how to do it. How do we make them successful? So sure. here's their potential, you yeah. know, quantifying what's on the ground. And here's how we do it. Here's what makes them successful. So that's what that research is really tailored towards. That's awesome because we've interviewed uh, some co-ops there out of Michigan. Yep. And they've been very successful in their region and talked about just kind of their importance and, and how as a community, this is, you know, just out even outside of hunting, but just as a community, they've come together um, to work and introduce hunters and, and just kind of domino effect for yep. that community just yeah. by coming together through hunting. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect situation. I know when uh, Brian came to me with the research and, and I told him, I said, I would love to do it because growing up when I was 12, I started a cooperative back at my house. You know, I went awesome. around to landowners and said, hey, guys, you know, we need to start managing for quality deer mm-hmm. um, because we only own 30 acres. And yeah. a, large, a small property like that is, is, is extremely hard to have a mature deer on or to even grow a mature deer on just because of the home range size and so many mm-hmm. you know aspects that go into w- growing Were you listening deer. to Marcus Lashley's? Oh, I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, but being able to work in a cooperative on a cooperative setting makes it so much easier. Oh yeah. Um, just to be able to to work with like-minded landowners and, and talk with them, um, it, it makes the the challenge of growing a mature deer on small acreage that much uh, less difficult. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So. Gotcha. So as a whole, if you could wrap up the successful co-ops, what are they doing differently that makes them so successful? Well, I think a lot of it's just communication. So the ones that I worked with in Georgia, we've for this research we had eight cooperatives that totaled about 70,000 acres. I mean, some of these cooperatives awesome. were over, the, the average was over 4,000 acres. Um, some of the larger ones were on the 20,000 acre range with 60 mm. landowners. Jeez. Um, so 
these cooperatives, you know, people aren't really talking about them. We didn't really have a, a specialist there in Georgia um, at the time. I was the one working with them out of national headquarters. So what they're doing is they're really just doing a great job of having a yearly meeting or a bi-yearly meeting, throwing a cookout for the whole co-op, getting everybody together, sh sharing pictures, showing, you know, here's the deer that we're looking at on this end of the co-op, here's what we're doing, and, and just being very transparent um, mm -hmm. because they're, that transparency is there because they're, they trust other people around them. Um, so they're able to get together and, and be on the same goal, the same page, fighting for the same goal, um, striving towards that. And it makes them just that much more successful. Um, just that yearly meeting and being able to do something together and feel like you're part of a, a community in and of itself and that you're part of something bigger than yourself on such yeah. a local level. And you're making a difference there in your hometown or there on your property is really what uh, is making these cooperatives that I've dealt with pretty successful. Mm. How often are those co-ops meeting, would you uh, say, with that communication, the value there? So usually they'll have like, a, you know, like an email with, yeah. with everybody on it and they'll Tag send out and pictures and say, hey, we've got this buck named whatever it may be um, using this part of the co-op. What are you seeing over there? Uh -huh. um, just kind of staying in contact throughout uh, the year. Big old group text. Yeah, kind of yeah. like a big, you know, Facebook group or something, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, keeping together with everybody on there. I mean, everybody's busy and they got different oh, schedules. Sure. So sending out emails, sending out group texts, whatever it may be for smaller cooperatives or larger mm -hmm. ones. Um, a lot of the larger ones just get together once a year. Yeah. And the, and one of the best points that I would love to stress is, you know, one of the, the guy that was over this 21, 22,000 acre cooperative in South Georgia, he told me, I was on the phone with him. He said, <clears throat> I said, what, what makes yours so successful? He said, the way I look at it is this. If I spend $400 on a meal for 60 to 80 people, the money I spend there to get people together and making a difference on a large scale is worth more than any food plot seed I could buy oh, awesome. or any, any money I could put into diesel or whatever it is. Like that mm -hmm. little money makes such a big difference on a large scale that yeah. it, it's so worth it to me to be able to do it. it. So That's a great point, great perspective, you know, to think yeah. about that because everyone knows, or most properties, the deer that you see don't always stay within your property yeah. boundary. So, right, investing, it's not, it's not necessarily investing right there on, on your habitat or the, your property, but expanding that reach yeah. and uh, putting that money elsewhere, but still making a big impact, yeah. positive impact. So how does a person get a co-op started? What, what steps? So, just from my personal experience uh, with, with the cooper cooperative I started, um, I went around door-to-door, -door, you know, just knocking on doors and pretty much saying, well, hey, I'm 12 years old. If I'm, I'm willing to do this, <laughs> you know, you're 50. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is, uh, and, and plus, you know, I got my dad on board when I was that age. But what I've seen for a lot of them is just having that communi those communication lines already established because you, you, you want to know your neighbors. You want to yeah. make sure they're looking out for your property. You're looking out for theirs. Maybe it's not for your management, for, but for other reasons. And just come up and say, here's what my idea is. Here's why we want to do it. And, and talk to your neighbor down the road and see if they're willing to do it. And just and growing, especially the ones in Georgia, have really grown from one major property. And then they went to the property next to them and next to them. It just starts mm -hmm. growing and growing that way. The strength um, in numbers. Yeah. So just those communication lines, and, and especially down in the south, you know, you got a lot of people in small communities that know each other. Everybody knows everybody. And so just getting those few key people um, mm -hmm. is really important. Um, you know, the, the shakers and movers in that community that can make things happen, everybody looks up to. Sure. And if you can get those on board, those early adopters on board, that's that's really a – clutch uh, yeah that's a big deal mm. i love it i love the the fact that cutie may is putting the research into it because it's it's not only going to improve like you said white-tailed deer but it's it's a huge vast improvement for any game species and non-game species yeah i mean that's that's what we're what we found uh just looking at 
the research on the land cover side of things, looking at early successional communities that mm-hmm. are there, uh, wildlife openings, those those two things right there, they would not be there unless somebody's actively managing the land. Exactly. Um, and what we're finding is that there's, you know, without giving too much detail before the research is published, that yeah. there's there is differences, statistically significant increases in some of those active management land covers, which are indicative of ma- landowners ma- actively managing land, taking an active role as a manager on that property, and providing habitat that would not would not be there unless they were doing that. And that's coming free to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. That's yeah. coming free to state DNRs, that's mm-hmm. that, I mean, state wildlife agencies. That's that's big. It's advantageous it's, for them to... It's advantageous for them to promote it because exactly. they're getting a return on it that they're not having to invest. You know, all they're yeah. investing is possibly maybe one employee that's that's helping Fuel this us. process along. Yeah, no doubt. Mm. So. Huge. I love it. Yeah. It's encouraging. Absolutely. Well, we sure do appreciate you coming on. No problem. I appreciate Always the opportunity. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, following Hunter's uh, talk about the co-ops, we've got Brian Tao. Brian, you have kind of an interesting... The infamous The Brian infamous, Tao. yes. Something He's like that. the bear spotter. Now, I'll share that story before we yeah. really go into that. <laughs> when you came up and toured my farm, my family farm last year, um, we had a good time. We saw the country, and... Um, it didn't take, it was about two weeks later when I was pulling camera cards and it was like, oh, there's a picture of a, wait a second. And there was actually a picture of a black bear standing in front of the camera. And then 80 yards behind that was all three of us in my vehicle. And you, you could see your arm out the window and somehow we missed the whole black bear. Missed the show. And it wasn't just a cub. It was a, it It was was an adult bear. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow we didn't see it. So. You know how many times we've shared that picture, though, with people? Like, you got black bears? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we've got black bears. we got proof. But yeah. we didn't see them. <laughs> that's, that's how, yeah, that's yeah. how. Uh, well, just something you don't really expect to see, though, too. I yeah. Mean, we're looking at habitat. We're doing important stuff. We're talking that's about right. That's yeah, right. Or something that's like right. that. Something so, like that. Anyway, Brian Tao, how long have you been with QDMA? Uh, almost six years now. It'll be six years in uh, actually February. Um, I came from Missouri Department of Conservation and. It was a kind of a unique position, Missouri. I, I'm in Missouri, and it was uh, Missouri Department of Conservation. After uh, QDMA did a deer steward course there, mm. uh, the department approached uh, the organization about, uh, or Quality Deer Management Association, I guess I should say. Uh, but uh, Department of Conservation there in Missouri approached QDMA after the deer steward course, said, hey, you know, we, we'd like to have a position to develop cooperatives. You know, landscape type management is the wave of the future it could be it should be because that's obviously going to be the most impactful mm-hmm. you know because yeah i mean many of us own you know 40 50 60 acres a lot of small landowners who get the most benefit out of it but you know nbc came and said hey we want to do this and that's uh, awesome so and then somehow some way i i schemed and scammed my way into the position so. <laughs> pulled some strings <laughs> don't let just about anybody in yeah that exactly position. exactly yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you were, when you were with the MDC, you were a game warden, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah I was right. about 12 and a half years as a game warden. Wow. No stories there at all. No stories. No, we yeah. won't have to dive into that. We could. That's like four podcasts yeah. right there. <laughs> could uh, you believe this? I yeah. ran into this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So now with QDMA, mm-hmm. you help with the co-op. So what is that on a day-to-day basis? What are you doing? Oh, it's all the same. It's all, you know, there's a there's one-line schedule, and it's the same thing over and over. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. really. Not <laughs> exactly. No. Every day is different, um, you know, and, and it was it was neat because I didn't really have any one I, you know, acquired or was, you know, 
you know, knighted for the position, so to speak. And, you know, I didn't really have any restraints, didn't have any borders or walls. Said, hey, go forth and do good, basically. Make it what you want to, mm-hmm. and uh, which was awesome. And so, and that's kind of what, what I've done or tried to do, um, you kind know. tailor-made. Right. Uh, yeah, something like something that. Something like that. <laughs> but but ma- mainly for mistakes, man. Yeah. You know, and, that, and yeah, that's a good way to learn. Yeah. And so, um, you know. Right now, you know, in the beginning, I'll just start out in the beginning. In the beginning, it was just making contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're fortunate in Missouri that, you know, we have a private lands division. Uh, so I could go, like if I get a, someone that called me, I could just, I could actually, I could tap them and they would actually give me a map of landowners they worked with, you know, nice. in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they, and so then I'd reach out to them with through addresses and mailing and try to develop from there. Uh, but there were some co-ops already existing. Uh, but, you know, today... I spend I spend a whole lot less time developing new co-ops to be honest with you and just ma- maintenance on the existing co-ops mm-hmm. and the and the biggest reason why is because it it is it's kind of a demanding you know hopefully y- the goal is long term to educate those landowners and most of them are super good stewards of wildlife and you know and deer but you know they they like to have that extra confidence builder and push and say mm-hmm. am I doing right and that's kind of what I am right now to many of them as a coach yeah you know I still um Land coach. I like that. That, That's a cool title. But, uh, you know, but, you know, they they still need some technical stuff. You know, many of them are fledglings, you know, and I say fledglings in three to four year range. So they still need some advice. But but still yet, most of them are getting getting it to where probably many of them I can move off of slowly. Because that's my ultimate goal is to where they have enough confidence to where we can communicate and talk by email. I don't have to come to as many meetings or coordinate with them. Um, you know, and they can go on and do other things. Of course, that was my initial thoughts. We've got disease issues going on in Missouri and many of my co-ops now with CWD. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, the whole thing's kind of shifted a little bit. That's kind of complicated. Through a monkey wrench in my plans. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh, Threw a monkey wrench into a lot of people's plans. Yeah. Sure has. You, sure know, has. you know, but, you know, uh, to be honest with you, deer are, um, you know, a bulk of what my co-op, you know, many of my co-ops, we call them wildlife cooperatives. Um, however, you know, deer are the primary focus, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I, and I like for folks to leave it general and I encourage them to as in the title, just because, you know, deer may be the focus, but there's also a turkey hunter, there's a rabbit hunter, you may have a bird watcher and, and just people that just enjoy wildlife in general. And so I hate to sometimes put just that deer name at the top because sometimes people get, you know, there's people that like quail that don't like anything to do with deer, mm-hmm. you know, or people that like you know, turkeys. And, and properly improved land can benefit a lot of what you just mentioned I, right there. It, you know, I, I, you know, I've talked to several groups like a, like a quail group and, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, and I didn't go in to preach and talk about what deer management was. I said, I want you guys to tell me exactly what you do on your properties to right. benefit quail. And they said, well, we do prescribed buyer. We do early successional habitat. And I'm writing this stuff on the board as we go through. And I said, okay, let me tell you about deer management now. This is what we do different. I said, nothing we do all this too you know (laughs) and it it is it's kind of a circle so um you know but anyway but you know long story short it is kind of confidence building and educating even other hunters you know that deer management is turkey management is quail management Mm -hmm. Um, but how does a corn feeder help the quail (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well it gives them a nice place to come so the so the hawks and the owls can come find (laughs) (laughs) it's a good meeting exactly exactly (laughs) so how many co-ops are you running in missouri you know, um, about two years ago, we added a second position, and uh, Alex Foster covers kind of the north. I used to cover the entire state. Uh, sure. We added Alex, and we kind of drew a Mason-Dixon line, so to speak. He covers the north half. I cover the southern half. Um, and right now in the southern half, we have, you know, 
true what I call true yeah you know if you look at the numbers you know folks that you know kind of want to you know that are still considered co-ops some aren't quite as active you know total we have about 21 in the southern half of the state how many acres wow that's um awesome. you know there's um in the, in the southern half um well total right now we have statewide uh we're we're pushing 250,000 acres mm. you know state statewide bam and that's, that's it, strong yeah and you know one of the biggest you know and, and I'll be honest, you know, I'm in the Ozarks, and, you know, Alex is more, has less Ozarks. Mm -hmm. He has a little bit of West Central Ozarks, uh, you know, part of the state, but I'm pretty much predominantly Ozark country yeah. is what I, and habitat that I deal with, which is honestly where I spend a bulk of my time. I, because I think many of them felt like they needed the additional help. Sure. You know, because they didn't quite understand habitat management. Mm -hmm. They also thought they had the most to gain from it. You yeah. know, and, and gain, and you guys... You guys know nothing about the Ozarks, I know. You know, <laughs> yeah. every, everybody's one big happy family. Well, They're you not said Ozarks, and I was like, where is, it, where is that yeah, at? Yeah. I don't even know where it's at. Yeah. But no, nobody's <laughs> cliquish in the Ozarks at That's all. That's right. You know, but, and, and honestly, that was one of the things that I, I thought would be a challenge is trying to uh, break through some of those barriers, especially because mm -hmm. there's a lot of absentee landowners, you yeah. know, that, you know, work and, and uh, assist with these co-ops and kind of promote them. And I thought that, you know, confidence building between the two, you know, typical you know they kind of stare at each other across the room yeah. that's not at all the case you know most time it's you get them in the room just get them talking is the big thing once yeah. they get to talking everybody realizes whether you grew, you're a lifetime ozark guy or you're someone that grew up in st louis or springfield or wherever pretty common goals and interests just gotta get them talking about it yeah mm. yeah so what's open the, the doors yeah that's yeah. right so what's the food. best advice food. <laughs> i love it yeah. food food <laughs> What's the best advice to people besides food to yeah. get people to – because I know there's deer hunters across the country that say, man, I wish my neighbors would get on board. What do you think is the number one thing to build a co-op? It's confidence, you know, and, and it is talking and communication, you know, because my best co-op – the ones that I would categorize as my best co-ops, they communicate. And that may They may not see each other all the time. It may just be text messaging. You know, mm -hmm. it may be, you know, a Facebook – Facebook post and Facebooking back and forth and posting different pictures. But, you know, but I can tell you the one thing that is the hardest, it's hardest for any of us, including myself, I know, but is sharing pictures. But that is the quickest way to gain confidence. Because if you're willing to share a deer picture, you're all of a sudden, you're allowing somebody, you, it's not just for you, but as a deer hunter or even a hunter in general, you realize they're accepting me. Mm -hmm. You know, they're opening up a door. It's, yeah. you know, it's like opening up a bedroom door. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, in many ways. I mean, that's what you're doing. It's like, yeah, you can see what me and my wife are doing over here. Yeah, come mm -hmm. on. Yeah. You know, and, but, you know, that's that's what you've done when you yeah. start showing some it's pictures. It's like a sign of hospitality. It is. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, especially in the beginning, you don't have to show your maybe your biggest and best bucks. Mm -hmm. But if you want to gain confidence and you want to start pushing and promoting for deer specifically, you know, just show a nice buck. Because most guys have never even seen a picture of a really nice buck. Sure. You know, not, and I say nice, it may only be 140, 150-inch deer, but there's also some other jaw droppers out there, too. i got to move to the Ozarks where he's at. Maybe 110-inch. Yeah. Oh, but. man. Well, that's awesome stuff. I think uh, the co-op is definitely something. I know it's part of QD May's 30, 30-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. It's part of their five-year plan. Mm -hmm. What is – so currently, how many acres do you know of being in co-ops in the country? And then I know they want to expand on that. Right. And we, you know, the, the biggest thing right now, we're, we're a little bit under, uh, you know, 
were and 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 I'll get the numbers wrong, so I won't even I won't even quote numbers. Uh, but you know, as far as what uh, the latest, because I'm not privy, uh, I haven't seen at least the latest uh, polls that we've done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. But as far as from members and because QDMA does an annual, basically we send out an annual poll to rent. It could be to anybody, just anybody we have an email database with, and we'll send yeah. it to them. So some are QDMA members, some are not, uh, and we're. We're still crunching those numbers right now. But uh, once we get that in, we'll kind of have a better idea of what QDMA members have, but also what, you know, people that are willing to respond have across the nation. You know, but our long-term goal is, yeah, I mean, we we want to we want to increase, you know, co-ops, you know, at least a, a million new acres, you know, which sounds like quite a bit, but it's really not that many. Yeah. Um, you know, and but long, it's just endless. I mean, you know, the, we may have a goal, but that's just to kind of get the ball rolling, let folks know, but we don't want to stop. You know, we want it to keep right on rolling. Yeah, it's like that keep the obnoxious the teacher in school that says, I want you to do this, and then once you do that, you're like, mm-hmm. I want you to do it, and you're like, what? I just did stop. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and it is, it does kind of get contagious. You know, I got, I got two texts today, you know, adding, you know, just my can my existing co-ops where they just continue adding acres you know i got one that added 500 acres today and you know and i got another one that's adding another uh 250 acres Mm, so you know it and not and sometimes it's not always contiguous but Mm -hmm. you know oftentimes it is so great what is real quick what is one tidbit and i've seen you in some of the sessions that you've picked up from the speakers here at convention well what's a take home for you you know is you know I, i would like to say I would like to say habitat, but Craig Harper does such a horrible job, you know, <laughs> promoting habitat, native, yeah, native, yeah. You know, yeah. urban yeah. succession and habitat. Yeah, you but just no. got to throw that one out the window. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't have a lot of credibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, early successional habitat is obviously, you know, a, a big, a big one. You yeah. know, and, and and I take that away from anything. I mean, food plots are a big part of you know what we what we think about and what we like and part of that is because we feel like we're doing something but we also have to do that with early successional habitat or you know managing for forbs and legumes and listen to timber and an old field situation um you know so it's still hands-on you know but i always say this i mean you know nobody's paying their you know pokeweed and and ragweed's not paying someone thirty thousand dollars a year to promote it Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that's part part of it. I mean, we get that ingrained because we see it. It is pushed and it's promoted because somebody's writing a check. Yeah. And I understand you got to pay the bills and, that, you know, right. and there has to be that. But, you know, I still I still realize it's just it's supplemental. You know, food plots, I've always felt is a supplemental no feeding program. And no my doubt. primary food plot is my timber management and my open land early successional habitat. Well, you're going to enjoy our presentation tomorrow. Tomorrow? tomorrow? Today, Friday? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. Because Craig was uh, talking about not, not being able to bag up, I guess, early yeah. successional. Ours will be sunlight. Yeah. Yep. You can't, so. you can't capture sunlight and put it in a bag and sell it. Yep. It's free. That's why I love it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't know. I'm going to sleep through you all session. I don't know. I wouldn't even it's show probably up. probably boring. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah, just put my face in the room. <laughs> you were snoring too loud <laughs> yeah. during Craig. So, That's it. Yeah. That yeah. Well, man, it is always a pleasure. No doubt. Anytime. And uh, we sure do appreciate everything you do for QDMA and Missouri Landowners. I'm glad somebody does. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hear that enough. <laughs> yeah. no. I like that. You want us to say that again? No. Nah. <laughs> right. All right, Brian. We appreciate it. And we will, uh, I guess um, – one day, well, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah. I think yeah. that pretty well covers it. But we'll go bear scouting. Anything last days. words for QDMA? Right. No, you know, as far as QDMA and as you know, obviously our national convention. You know, we have a 
convention annually. I encourage anybody to come or join a branch or, you know, or try to be a part, just become a member. I mean, it truly is an organization that um, you'll learn from. I mean, it's not one of those organizations, you know, it, it'll make you feel good because they're doing, you know, QDMA does a lot of good things. But the other thing is you'll also gain a lot of benefits outside of just uh, feeling good. You know, there'll be a lot of knowledge gained there. Awesome. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Love it. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you, guys. All right, so our next guest has an interesting badge. He says press. So <laughs> tell me your name and how you're involved here. Well, my name is Jordan Blissett, and I work at Primo's Hunting out of Florida, Mississippi, and that's where I'm from too. And uh, I'm one of the video guys for the TV show, Primo's hmm. Truth About Hunting. And we are down here trying to get new ideas and content and get educated on what's going on as far as in the hunting side that we don't get to see because we're always out filming and doing this and right. that and we don't get educated as far as the numbers of hunters what's going on and trying to figure out better ways to improve our own land we hunt on for making us more successful in well, our shows we can help them with that that's, right. that's what we do that's right <laughs> I'm more than yeah. happy to come back to Mississippi. that's interesting so how long have you been at primos i've been there for two years i worked at mossy oak from 2012 to 2016 and then i moved to primos then so nice jacob walmack working it did now, he ever get there jacob came on board about the same time i left okay but gotcha. i know him i met him several times yeah gotcha yeah so mossy oak to primos and so if anybody ever follows Primos, I'm sure so many of us do, you guys are busy. It seems like yeah, all the time you're running around filming something yeah. uh, almost year-round. We, uh, we've started a big emphasis on, you know, YouTube content, trying yeah. to get new content out there, different stuff, and, you know, you can find. We've been searching a lot of stuff, trying to figure out what's something that's not there that we can put out for people to educate themselves on. Sure. Deer, how to hunt deer. I mean, we're doing really simple stuff for the people that's trying to get into hunting that really doesn't know all what a three-year-old deer is or all the stuff we talk about just in a casual conversation. Mm -hmm. They're just like, what in the world are they talking about? Break it down. But we're getting really simple, doing little short videos, just trying to, I mean, make it easy for somebody to learn start to finish, you know. Yeah. You never finish, but yeah. to start out with, where do you start? Yeah, that's perfect. So that's, perfect. that's what we've really been focusing on the last year and a half or so is, that and that's why we're down here trying to figure out some new stuff to what people got questions to do and mm -hmm. you know incorporate into that mm -hmm. well, that's so awesome when did you get started hunting oh man i've been since i could walk i guess yeah you know, just i grew up in mississippi so that's a, just a heritage there and that's what you do on the weekends you go to deer camp i grew up running dogs you know yeah <laughs> me too yeah out so of virginia we get on horses and turn the beagles out and it was just a good time we yeah. didn't kill big deer didn't kill we killed a bunch of deer right but the, the quality aspect of it wasn't around then. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are still on that same, you know, if it's brown, it's down deal. Sure. And if you're hunting legal, me personally, I have no problem. As long as you're having a good time and hunting legal and the trophy is you having a good time, that's, that's fine it. with it. But the quality deer association also gives information that, you know, grow big deer, that's what you want to do, do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gives so. you that avenue too, that mm -hmm. education, right? Right. And I think you know, I asked you pre-show and, and it was as we're sitting here, if if you're a member of QDMA and, I, and kind of like all of us, at one point we heard of QDMA. And for me, I heard of it way back when. And I, it was this impression that 
you QDMA means that you have to shoot. You you can't shoot young deer. You have mm-hmm. to only shoot right. mature deer. Mm-hmm. It was one of the biggest misconceptions I think with QDMA yeah. is the fact that we're not we're just about healthy deer. QDMA is just about healthy deer. I, I, mm-hmm. I categorized us as we because yeah. we're involved down to a branch level, but it's not it's not about shooting the trophy mm-hmm. deer. And and I think that's the biggest message is trying to get more people involved is that it's just about healthy deer and enjoying nature. Exactly. Making your herd the best it can be, not antler quality, but mm-hmm. the herd quality. That's right. No doubt. That's right. So that's, it. that's one thing I love about QDMA is the aspect of learning how to grow your herd. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll take this another route. And w- w- How did you start filming? Oh, man. It's oh. always interesting to hear people how they got started and <laughs> – well, I, you know, I grew up watching all these shows, and yeah, of course, I, man, I can do that. I can go film. So I filmed a lot of stuff just with a handycam, my buddies and stuff mm-hmm. in high school and whatnot. But I went to college to be an electrician, and I was working in a steel mill. I guess it would be 2011 or so. And I was working like 12-hour days, seven days a week, yep. six or seven days a week all the time. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> i got to find something else to do. And uh, I found an ad on facebook it was a hunting guide you know they put out a job wanted somebody to apply for be a hunting guide at this island in natchez called giles island Mm -hmm. yeah and uh so i applied i showed up down there it's like 75 people applied for this job of course everybody wants to go hunting you know all the time and uh i ended up getting the getting the position and whatnot and i ended up going down there and working that deer season and uh some guys from Mossy Oak showed up down there to film a TV show, and I was just mind blown because hey, these guys are—I've been they, watching them forever. They make yeah. TV, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I got to talking to one of the camera guys, Hunter McCool, and got to know him a little bit, and uh, got his information, got his number, and I just worried it's not out of him. <laughs> so, man, when y'all got a job, just let me know. Let me know. Well, anyway, I was working at a summer job, trying to pass time till deer season, so mm-hmm. I could go back to really doing what I wanted to do. And uh, I got a call from the manager of the island. Say, hey man, would you be interested in filming at Mossy Oak? It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've <laughs> only been waiting for this. <laughs> he, said, he said they called. You know, they want to know if I had anybody. Because at Giles, we filmed all the hunts. Mm-hmm. Like you sat in the stand with the client, and right. You know, you helped him make decision on what deer to shoot, whatnot, and you filmed his hunt so he could take it home. Sure. Whatnot. Make so, a lasting memory. So Jimmy told him that, uh, you know. Jordan, he, he's been pretty serious about filming or whatnot. Call him, see if he wants to come up for interview. Well, anyway, I went up there, like, the next day, and I wasn't working in the car factory anymore after <laughs> that. So I went to work at Mossy Oak filming and had a really great time there. We went all over the country. I got to experience some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So that's how I – and Lake, Lake Pickle, ended up growing across the street from my wife, mm. growing up across yeah. the street from her. And – uh that's how I got to know him, and he ended up working at Primo's like a year and a half after I started at Mossy Oak, and so yeah. it's kind of worked out. Me and my wife wanted to move back to the Jackson area, and it just got open doors for right. us, you know, and I was the right place, right time. That's mm. awesome. It's always Love funny. Story. It seems like It seems like most of the people I meet in the industry that are filming mm-hmm. took the very strange oh, yeah. way of getting there oh isn't it's not one of them deals you just see a job application you apply and get it right it's, yeah. Right? right place right time and happen to meet the right people you that, know that's, that's exactly right yeah is it i'll ask and you a, question. a lot of prayer too mm-hmm. does it for you since i i i have 
kind of watch primos from the very beginning of yeah. of my time of looking at hunting. But you know, as a young boy, you watch those shows and you almost like put those guys as heroes for oh, you. Yeah. And how does it feel now putting on the primos hat? Do you do you ever think about that? Like, there's probably some kid somewhere <laughs> watching those films, going, "I want that guy's job." I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> it probably puts now you a little just put all the pressure, pressure on, on yeah, somebody yeah. way more qualified than I am. Dude. <laughs> well, it's definitely something I think we should all think about too. Is as we work in this industry, yeah, we yeah, may not totally. want to admit it or not, but there's people watching yeah. and people going, listening yeah. or, or listening going. Okay, and so I now let's that. tie it back into the other conversations we've had with everybody else is trying to put hunting in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like there, there's definitely pressure of, of what we have mm-hmm. to do, and and I mean being authentic. People and just are definitely watching. Yeah. and uh, one yeah. of the things that's been so successful for us as primos, I'm talking for primos here, is showing hunting as a you know it's not all about the kill mm-hmm. or anything like that if you watch our show we just cut up and have fun just yeah. like you would at a regular deer camp you take you think, take deer camp everywhere you go yeah i mean yeah. i think that's one thing that people that don't hunt you know they're always looking for that relationship with somebody that bond with somebody to go and be with somebody and have fun over a weekend well i mean everybody goes on a vacation or goes to the beach or whatever mm-hmm. it's the same thing going to hunting camp you know you're going to get away it's stress-free for the most part yeah and uh that's one of the things you just you go hunting to just enjoy being in the woods and hanging out with your friends or buddies or whatnot. Yeah, Love absolutely. It. That's it. so true. It's a great wrap up right there. Mm-hmm. What it's all about. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Keep Enjoyed doing it. that. Yeah. Keep pumping that out. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So next guest, also fellow, I guess fellow for Jordan, another <laughs> Primos guy here with this press badge. First convention for you, Lake. Yeah, yeah, this is the first QDMA convention I've been to. Wow. Yeah, so we got Lake Pickle here. Tell us how long or what's your position at Primo's? So I've been with Primo's Hunting for, let's see, four years now. Uh, I'm Me and Jordan have the same job. We're videographers. Well, I kind of tell we're like utility infielders. You know, we That's do a little, bit of, <laughs> a little bit of everything. Uh, but primarily videographers is what, what we do for Primo's. Right. Keeps okay. us busy, but it's fun. How many days a fall are you on the road? Oh, good Any gosh. idea? Uh, how many days are in a year? 365? Probably 300? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> like, geez. I don't know. It's it's yeah. a lot. Like, uh, starting in, depending on, like, so you got to think, like, almost all of September, or, or, like, the going from, like, September 12th to the end of the month, and then we roll right into deer season. So, from October to january 31st you can almost count on we'll be deer hunting at least five days a week through the mm-hmm. end of january so we're doing something and then february is kind of a break then turkey season depending on if we go to florida or not it's kind of early to mid-march through if we go to new mexico or pa or places like that all the way through mid-may so we're oh, yeah. moving so mm. it's all it's always like a it's a fun it's a funny change of pace when we get to summertime we all just comes to it we go from run 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 to stop you know yeah. it just all of a sudden just slows I like down looking around like hey what do i do with my time where now? that's yeah. i forgot what my own bed felt like you yeah. know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <What laughs> one of those place? things yeah <laughs> so what's it for you guys you're filming are you actual actually producing the shows too or is somebody else handling the actual it uh so the actual television shows we have um some editors in house uh Troy Ruiz who's been with mm-hmm. Primos for a while 
he does a lot of working on the shows. Um, mainly what Jordan and I do are mainly just the, the videography. And then we, we'll do some editing, but mainly the editing we work on is for social media and YouTube, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. The television shows are mainly put together by Troy uh, Ruiz and Slade Reeves. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So tell us, Jordan gave us his rundown. How did you get started? And I ask this because of all the people that, you know, I think at some point anybody who has watched a TV show or hunted has dreamed of the job in the industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's not It's not always exactly what it seems. And especially it's not you go to college, you go to university, and you get your job in outdoor It's, f- it's not yeah. a corporate filming. lifestyle. Yeah. Like, I went through this process to get here. I yeah. have a bachelor's degree in hunt filming. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's a funny story. Um, kind of, Jordan and mine are, are similar in some degree. You know, I, I grew up in central Mississippi. Uh, grew up in a hunting family, grew up, you know, especially it's, I'm sure it's, it's similar for many people across, if you hunt, you know, across the country, but especially in Mississippi, cause that's where Primo's is based out of, grew up watching Primo's videos. You know, when I was a kid, all the Primo's guys were my heroes, man, you know, yeah. just, oh, that's yeah. how yeah. we revered them. And, uh. I always tell people you could ask you could ask my mama when I was like ten years old. She's like, "What are you gonna do when you grow up?" So I'm gonna work for Primos. That's what That's I wanted it. to do. Yeah, and <laughs> your mind uh, was set. Yeah, we I have just, similar we had similar passions at yeah, ten years old. It's yeah. it's just what I wanted to do. And so you know, y- y- y'all probably had similar things when I was in high school. You know, my buddies we'd have like a little handy cam or you know mm-hmm. whatever camera your parents used to film on Christmas morning. That's we'd it. swipe it and take it to the woods <laughs> and that kind of thing. And uh, I had some some minor hunting related jobs like I guided ducks for a little while but uh when I was 20 years old I was in community college and a, a really good friend of mine named Keith Polk uh called me one day and was like hey have you ever heard of a uh, Midwest Whitetails internship program and I was like no I have not he's like well you really need to look into it because he knew how badly I wanted to do this kind of stuff mm. um, so I looked it up and I'll say on the forefront, like the whole, my whole story of how I came to Primo's is all just the whole, that's just the way the Lord intended it to be. Mm-hmm. Because it like, just the way it all happened. Like I just, I had no professional camera experience, no professional, any kind of experience in terms of producing a hunt or anything. And I just happened to apply to the internship. And I was the only kid from the Southeast area that applied for that internship. And I had no clue, but that was the first year that Midwest was going to do a Southeast regional show. Mm. So it kind of worked out. I get the job, move up there and work with those guys for six months, made some really good friendships. Those are all great guys. Um, You know, Bill's a great guy. Um, Aaron Warburton, Greg Clements, both of them Mm -hmm. do the hunt in public now, but I still know those guys and they taught me a ton and, they helped me get in contact with uh, Brad Ferris. And uh, it kind of all, again, long story short, Brad and I kind of emailed off and on. And I was still, I went back to school for a little while. And I ran into Brad at a uh, local outdoor show that we have in Mississippi. And I had never met Brad in person. I was like, you know, I should probably introduce myself. I've been emailing this guy for about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went up and spoke to him. And I didn't know it, but at the time, um, they needed some more guys, you know, to do videography type stuff. And so I introduced myself, talked to them, and I'd actually moved back up to Starkville, to Mississippi State, where mm-hmm. I was at school, was about to start class again. And uh, I get a call from Brad, like, I think it was like four days before class had started. And he was like, hey, I need you to be uh, in New Mexico in two weeks. I was like, 
Yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds yeah. better than class. Hmm. <laughs> Sit in class for eight hours a day uh, or New Mexico. Yeah. So I went <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the option I went with. Um, but in the question I get when I tell people that, they're like, well, how did your parents feel about you pulling out of school? Hmm. Uh, when I went in to, inter- to interview at Primo's, it was the first time I'd ever met uh, Will. And Will sat down, he looked me in the eye, and he said, I'm not going to hire you unless you promise me that you're going to finish your school. I said, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to finish my school. So I'm actually still in school. I'm yeah. doing it online. I should, if I was taking regular, you know, course loads, 15 hours or whatever, I'd have been done a long time ago, but right. I can't because we travel so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I take like one or two classes a semester. That's actually what I was doing. I'm over there typing an essay right now <laughs> trying to finish. I should finish awesome. in the springtime. but uh it's not the funnest part of what I'm doing right now, sure. but you know, it's part of it. It's part of it. But you uh, made commitment. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. There's, yeah, I'm, you know, I try to stick to my word. That's mm-hmm. something I've was raised to do, and so, uh, but yeah, it's it's well worth it. You know, oh, like yeah. I said, that was four years ago now. As crazy as that seems, but right? It's Time been flies. fun. Yeah, yeah. I bet. it seems like whew, that's the dream most kids have. You know, <laughs> I was 12 yeah, years true. old. I. I've shared this story a lot. When I was 12 years old, I realized I was not going to make it as a professional baseball player. <laughs> and it immediately shifted to outdoor television. Right. And the Primos gang was the ones who really oh, motivated me. I want me. to do the two hardest things in life possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next, I'm going to be an astronaut. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, as I share with you yesterday, it was like Will Walker was this guy that like, that's, yeah. well, that's one of the guys, if you were to, Everybody has one that you watch, and that's why I asked Jordan earlier. Is there somebody on a show, if you're wanting to be in the outdoor industry, that, that motivates you and you're like, I, I enjoy what that guy does. Yeah, and yeah. Will Walker was that for me. So the ice man. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the reasons. It was like he always made the perfect shot. Still does. Cool he still does, yeah. okay. And uh, he always had. It seemed like he had the most fun of out of anybody. Yeah, just so like, like just to like before you go any further, it's funny, but you know, because people – you know, you, you, some people ask me, you know, do you ever get tired of it or, do you know, does it ever lose its sense of, of, of uh, I don't know, just surrealism, I guess. I don't know what the right term would be. Yeah. So uh, I'd been able to hunt, you know, with Will, uh, you know, a pretty decent amount. But uh, last September was the first time I was able to film Will Walker shoot an elk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and at this time we'd been around each other a lot, know each other. Like he's a great guy, super fun to hunt with, man, funny, just – has so much experience, knows what he's doing because he's done it for so long. But uh, And I wasn't even necessarily thinking about it when the hunt went on, but when he shot that elk and after we got everything done, I just sat, you know, I just kind of sat back and I was like, you know, I watched that guy shoot, I don't know how many elk on right. video. And, you know, I just, man, I just got to be with him when he shot one. And I just, you know, it was still, still surreal to me. I'm like yeah. still kind of being in a dream sometimes. I'm like, man, yeah. how, pinch me. You know, yeah, Pinch I, I don't deserve to be able to do <laughs> yeah. this, but I'm thankful that I'm here, you know. No doubt. That's right. That kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. I mean, mm-hmm. It's definitely, I don't know, it, you, you picture it in your head going this way, and you always take a, as you said, the Lord opened it, opened doors in a way oh, that yeah. where you're just like, how did that even happen? For me, all of a sudden, I'll just, I'll make it a short story. I'm holding a camera and a tree stand filming filming for the Drury's, and it's like, yeah. how did that happen? Like, right, yeah. that, that, where where was the I'm, road? I'm an ag major. Well, how yeah. did this happen? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like because to me, uh, turkeys were the first thing to ever like kind of steal my heart. I mm-hmm. guess you could say in terms of hunting. I mean, I love all of it. If you ask me to, you know, choose between all of them, I'd, I'd probably just faint because I couldn't make a decision. Yeah. I'd, I'd don't pass out under the pressure. Yeah, <laughs> don't put that evil on me, man. But uh, and you know, if you're a turkey hunter. You're a Primo's fan. 
Will Primos. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh, Especially yeah. as a kid. And so the first time that, you know, me and Will, uh, I got to hunt with him, man. It was at his farm at uh, at Rivers Run that he, he sold. He doesn't mm-hmm. have any more. But we went on a hunt, and it was like, it's like the hunt that you dream about. And when I say, like, like for you know, for me at least, you know, it wasn't like a straight off limb comes in gobbling, screaming hunt. I mean, like we were on this turkey from fly down, and we didn't shoot him until like 12 o'clock that mm. afternoon, just steady, just chasing. Yeah, we, we crossed creeks, and when we crossed the creek, the water was too high. Both of us got our uh, feet wet because mm-hmm. our boots filled with water. And that, it was kind of a similar thing. Like after it was all said and done, I was like, I just – I just was with Will Primos when he shot a turkey. Yeah. Again, you know, I'm mean, like, I don't – how did I end up here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still mm-hmm. feel that way sometimes. Yeah. I hope I don't ever stop feeling that way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's special. And that's like, you know, you shared your testimony there a little bit. But that's that's the power of, of prayer and, like, just having a oh, dream. Yeah. Just, and you, you don't know how you get there. But, again, those doors just open up and one leads to another. Yeah. And then you find out that while that was happening, that's also making moves for, for the future. And you just look back and you're like – yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, this think about uh, what what Jordan was talking about here earlier. You know, I happened to meet Jordan. You know, he's already working for Mossy Oak. I mm-hmm. just started working for Primos. I happened to grow up living across the street from his wife. Our right. families are good friends, and like uh, the the story goes, is our our boss said, "Hey, we're going to be needing another camera guy. If you know anybody, be on the lookout." And you know, it was less than a week later. Jordan texted me. He's like, "Hey, man, if y'all ever have anything, me and Jesse yeah. are wanting to move back down to that area." I'm like, "Well." And it Here just kind of happened, and yeah. I mean, Jordan and I are better friends now than we were then, and he's mm-hmm. been a great addition to the team. It's just you know stuff yeah. like that happens that you can't explain it any other way, That's other it. than <laughs> <laughs> other than the good Lord. That's yeah. it. But, yeah, I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we sure do appreciate coming on. No doubt. It's always fun just to chat with people about how they got to where they're at. And yeah. it's uh, and it's never it's never cookie cutter. No, it's, <laughs> and it's never a straight line, really. Either. No, I climbed this ladder. Well, I climbed part of this ladder, then jumped over to the other one, climbed up a little bit, and came back, and it's fun. Yeah, it's if I here. if I tried to draw the trail out myself, I w- I'd be somewhere. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. That's funny. Well, yeah. we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely enjoyed this. Yeah, Good for deal. sure. Now, how about that? Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, authentic, I'd say yes. Like, those are the conversations that, that's why you go back to QDMA or you go to QDMA for conversations like that. Um, and it's not, I, I, I don't want there to be like this um, misunderstanding. Like, those people we talk to are just walking around everywhere. They're part of the convention. They are um, hosting events, but they're just free and open to accessing conversations. That's why, like, again, it's that, atmosphere that we love and, and just want to converse with everyone and everyone's open to doing that yeah for sure and i think uh for me i just enjoyed the i know we have our list of questions that we were going to try and ask each one of them but i love the the, the rabbit trails that we went oh, off yeah. on yeah especially with ryan that was very interesting i know we're gonna definitely have to have him come back on um to talk about that more in depth with all the statistics that he was talking about yeah for sure yeah so anyway that was just uh one of those uh, that to me that was just as real as it gets in conversation as far as hunting heritage so anyway hopefully everyone enjoyed it Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we have one final thing that we like to close out our podcast with so would you rather Mm -hmm. matt would you rather spend a night 
Trying okay. to sleep on Bourbon Street. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, as soon as you... you said spend a night, I was like, somehow Bourbon Street is getting brought into this. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or, or take a 20-mile hike through grizzly country with no weapon. Oh, wow. Um, is, it, is the hike day or night? Night. Night? Oh, man. Oh, gosh. I'm dead either way. <laughs> Just, I'm dead either way, man. Oh, man. Um, uh, we talk about, like, uh, the coyote and all this stuff and, like, the, the buffer prey. I'm that little mouse that sits in the middle of the road in the middle of the night like, oh, just eat me. <laughs> Take me alive. Oh, yeah. That's me. Either In either situation. <laughs> I'm, I don't, it don't matter. I ain't coming out alive. That was sticking with the New Orleans oh, theme. man. Yeah, we, we, we are Midwesterners. I grew up on the East Coast, but, like, this, this is home now. And that that was not home down no. there. Just some experience. To, like, whoa. To, to give our listeners a little bit of background, we went to eat dinner one night while we were at the National Convention, and we went through, had to go through Bourbon Street to get to the yeah. gumbo shop that we were headed at to eat. So it was a, a, a definitely a, an experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, so that's why, we, yeah, a little bit, little bit out of the comfort zone for the Midwestern boys. But well, my, my would you rather is very simple and kind of a culmination of exactly what we just experienced at convention. Would you, would you rather miss or attend a convention? Yeah, well, I would rather attend a convention. What kind of question is that? So, so simple. But that, that's what it boils down to. Like, hey. I don't want to miss one because one, and we didn't talk that much about it in this in this podcast, but some of the research, the fresh research that hasn't been shared anywhere else, got shared this weekend, and and I think we'll probably be um, reaching out to some of those folks as well to get them on the podcast. But fascinating stuff, incredible That's right. stuff. That's right. Um, stuff that can change the way you hunt, and not like not only manage your property, but those two go hand in hand. But incredible, incredible stat statistics on uh, just simple techniques that you can use. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was, there was some stuff that I hadn't heard before. So yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Definitely, definitely uh, an awesome ev- uh, event. And we encourage everyone, if you're not a QDMA member yet, go sign up. Bingo. It's a, it's a $35 fee, I believe every year. Annual membership. Yep. And you get a great magazine and all kinds of other information. So Go check them out, qdma.com, sign up, do your part to support conservation. And reminder, do your homework next week. I don't know what topic we're talking about for the QDMA module, but be sure to continue following along. If you're not signed up for that, qdma.com forward slash land and legacy. Um, Sign up for those QDMA modules. Learn along with us, guys. We will catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm.